greatest trick the devil ever pulled was convincing the world he didn't exist. Keep your friends close, but your enemies closer. There are no two words in the English language more harmful than good job. to the Make Remake Literary License Podcast episode with Keith Shago and co-hosts Vicky Ray and Steve Templeman, discussing the original film and the remake, looking at what was improved upon, where they went wrong, and whether anything lives up to the original. Don't forget to have your say by commenting or sharing links, or just follow us below. Now on with the show! in the stars I just look down and worry about our place in the dirt hate is bad life's too short to be pissed off all the time it's just not worth it life see in this world there's two kinds of people my friend those with loaded guns I'm sorry, Dave. I'm afraid I can't do that. Yeah, well, you know, that's just like uh, your opinion, man. Hello, welcome to Literary License Podcast. And it's our make-remake episode where we'll be covering The Fly from 1958 and the 1986 film. And before we get started, let's find out who's with us. we got Joe Randazzo with us. Hello, Joe. Hey, everyone. And Vicky Ray. Hello, Vicky. Hey guys. And I'm your host, Keith Shago. Before we get started, let's find out what we've been up to. Starting with you, Vix. What have you been up to since last time we spoke to you? You're going to ask Joe first. You always ask the other person first. Um, Not a whole lot. You on your uh, toes. Yeah, well, I'm trying to stay on my toes. I'm pretty pretty good lately, actually. But um, what have I been doing? Oh, of course, Asher's got his summer things going on again and uh, fixing to go to. My daughter for Mother's Day is taking me to Puerto Rico at the end of the month for four days, and she's taking me zip lining. So I'm sure you'll see things of me screaming like a little bitch in a couple of weeks. Wear a bra uh, or you'll have black eyes if you're not. Yeah, careful. something. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> what was I watching on Netflix? My daughter kept asking me to watch it. And I finally watched it. It was called Where Did Monday Go? Have you guys seen that? It's about about a family. Well, it's it's kind of like now you're not allowed to have more than one child. No, I'm just kidding. And but this guy had I don't remember how he had seven girls and they're all identical and they're all called by the days of the week. And that's the day of the week that they could go out and be a normal person, whether it be a job or school. And, you know, they they're supposedly cryogenically freezing your other children for when the world isn't overpopulated and famine is gone. So I'm just going to give you that. I didn't think I was going to like it, but I really, really liked it. I thought it was kind of cool. Um, is it a series or is it a film? It, it's a regular movie on Netflix. It's called Where oh, Did cool. Monday Go? Because she's the first oh. one that disappeared. It's just fucked up, but you guys will like it. It's kind of cool. Oh, and um, what did I watch? Oh, I was trying to watch Studio 666 for the Food Fighters. I couldn't <laughs> watch it because I didn't want to pay $20 yet. So 
I'm going to kind of wait for it to come along and, you know, do the thing. But, um, and I watched the right with Anthony Hopkins the other night ago. It was kind of exorcist-ish. You know what I mean? Something like oh, that. Oh, yeah, I've seen that. I know it's... Yeah, yeah it, was, it was kind of intense. I mean, you know, it was a little light for me, but it was okay. But other than that, doing my garden thing, I'm all excited. I've got all my tomatoes in and all that funny little Southern woman stuff that we do down here in Texas. Other than that, living life, living the dream. <laughs> <laughs> and what about yourself, Joe? What have you been up to? I've been, uh, I've been sick for about a week. So I've been just kind of vegging out and just sometimes not even, not even watching movies. I'm just like too, um, like whatever, whatever bug is in me, it's, it's got me exhausted, but sleep um, it I, off, man. That's what I'm going to do as soon as we're done here is probably sleep it off. Uh, obviously, I watched I, – I, I went and watched all the Fly movies uh, since You Monday. did hit them. I knew you were going to hit them all up. <laughs> I, I tried a, to. Somebody had given me the box set for my birthday last year uh, that had all five of them. So I was like, you know what? Let me let me oh, get them all there in. There you go. You had it Return of great- the Fly, The Fly's Son. <laughs> uh, no, the yeah, the Fly, fly. Two and Curse of the Fly. <laughs> so I went through all of them. And uh, yeah, it's a, man. Besides, uh, besides the Eric Stoltz one, I, I like them all. The Eric Stoltz one, Eric Stoltz one. I don't even think I got through the whole thing. Even my husband's like, Ugh. it was. Yeah, I kept, I kept passing. Well, out. Daphne Zeningard in it as well, doesn't it? Oh uh, yeah, Daphne oh, Zeningard. <laughs> it wasn't the best. Sometimes you just can't do a follow up. Sometimes it's just best to leave it be. Especially when you're trying to follow Cronenberg. Oh, no kidding, because he didn't direct that one. No, he didn't. What was it? No, Keith no. Keith was writing me a text like it was like eleven o'clock my time. I knew he was watching Cronenberg stuff. He goes, Damn, he goes, Cronenberg's a sick fuck. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and we will yeah, we will definitely get to that today. <laughs> I mean, it's quite sad because in 1990, Rennie Harlan wanted to do a uh, sequel to it, didn't he? But Regina Davis, but didn't have to get off the ground. So, Rennie Harlan in 1990, that might have actually been interesting. Yeah. I didn't hear you. uh, If it was uh, Rennie Harlan trying to do it in 1990, that might have actually been that might have actually been pretty decent. He was he was a solid action director around that time, so it might have been it might have been a fun little movie had he done it. Yeah. So that would have been interesting. Or anything else you've been up to? Uh that is uh that is it right now. Uh it's just I've been Final Four I, is over. I've been so exhausted that like I've been mostly just sleeping. You look tired, you really do. <laughs> Poor baby. It's weird because this thing's just I don't know what it is, it's just knocking me out. But I'll 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 get through today and then I will go uh I will go to bed after I'm done here. Well, myself, I've been watching um, a lot of Disney Plus recently. Um, I watched, um, what was it, the Ice Age movies from beginning I to end. I watched all of them. I have binge-watched all the Ice Age movies. That friggin' Squirrel it's, Man, he's just really like the Energizer Bunny. <laughs> it's quite interesting because the first Ice Age came out during the first time they started doing CGI films. So it's interesting to see how the CGI progresses with each film sort of thing, you know, like the, you know, before they're, before everything's quite boxy, 
And then by the second film, it's like the, all of a sudden you see the fur. The third one is like all of a sudden you see the watery effects and fire effects. And it's quite, a, from a CGI point of view, they're fantastic. And they're, it's got a good sense of humor. It's got its tongue in there. And I think they're funny. I like the little innuendo like jokes that kind of go, Poof, you know, but. Yeah. How many of these are there? There's like six, isn't there? Five six or six? There, yeah. Wow. The um, company has now been, um, the company who makes them, Blue Sky, went bankrupt, which is quite weird because Ice Age is the most, is the highest grossing and most successful animated se- franchise of all time, still. Which, for me, I was quite surprised. I thought it'd be like Toy Story or something like that. They're but, just yeah, great movies. They're fun yeah, to watch. Yeah, I, I thought that. But um, but then Disney bought it, and then they did a new movie this year. Um, but they weren't able to get a lot of the voice actors back. No, so, really. Yeah, the one about the um, you know the the curse of Bucky, the one who's in Dawn of the Dinosaurs, the that, sloth, or no, the other the other one, the one Simon Pegg did the voice for it in the original. You know, he's okay. he's like he has the the album with the eye patch. Okay. Okay. Yeah. So, this is his story, apparently. So, but I like the idea that they actually go move from one to the other, and that the story continues. Um, the last one, though, the last one that has all the rich. I was a bit upset with um, Peaches because Peaches' little friend gets left behind. They don't care about him anymore. You know, the <laughs> one that she didn't want to be friends with because it was bad for her image. So the next one's like, "Where's this little character gone?" Like, oh my God, what a bitch. She's left that little friend behind. So, but what else do I watch? Oh, I watched Hitchcock again, which if you're an Alfred Hitchcock fan, I really suggest watching that which movie. Which movie was that? I was meant to ask you about that a couple months back. It's Hitchcock oh, with um, Helen Mirren. Uh, it's what? Anthony Hopkins. Anthony yeah. Hopkins is Alfred Hitchcock, Helen Mirren, and it's about the making of Psycho. Very cool. Oh, really? Yeah. But it was excellent. I really liked it. I mean, it's called Hitchcock. Just Hitchcock, and it's on Disney. This is Hitchcock. So. Oh, it's on yeah. Disney Plus. Yeah, That's odd. All right. Disney now owns Fox, don't they? And Paramount. That explains Fox yeah. News. Death of the Niles on Disney Plus as well. I was going to watch that, Niles. but somebody told me it was you, Joe. You said I, I didn't watch it yet, but I love I, the old one with a uh, Peter Ustinov. So. I, a couple of people I, told me it's nothing compared to the one that Peter Ustinov was in. I've never seen the Ustinov one. I just thought this one was just okay. Like I just love Peter Ustinov. It's like Murder of the Orient Express. It's like the same people, isn't it? And I wasn't. That was okay. Yeah, yeah I didn't watch that either. one either. I didn't watch it either. It's beautifully. They're beautifully filmed and are beautifully acted. But I do. I guess think I'm just sick of redos. That's all people do is reboots. Well, I mean, the thing is, is it's not really a redo because the reason why I don't consider it a redo or a remake is because it's Agatha Christie. Yeah, that's true. And Agatha Christie stuff gets redone year after year. Yeah. I mean, Tango Indians and you know, and all that sort of stuff. So I don't really. There's think, just so many I, things I guess, out there to explore that no one's touched, though. I'm assuming, you know. Yeah. But it's a bit like when they every time they do a Pride and Prejudice or a Jane Austen. I, I mean, they, okay, they are remakes. Let's face it. But I, or Little Women. I never consider them as remakes. It's I'm like waiting for that. The classics again. I'm waiting for that Nosferatu that's supposedly coming out with uh, William Defoe. I could be that's really something. good. Um, I'm told it's actually a movie. I just haven't Shadow, seen. You talk about Shadow of the Vampire, huh? 
Are you talking about Shadow? No, there's, a, there's apparently another Nosferatu. Nosferatu is coming. Willem Dafoe and Anna Taylor Joy. Yes. going to be in it. Yes. Okay. I, I, oh, I keep thinking every time I see it, I keep thinking it's it's uh, it's a joke. I don't it's know. Not, it's not. I was I asked a few people today in one of the horror forums, and it's other than people making a fan poster of the movie, it's actual movie coming out. Do they just posted well, it? I just asked him. I go because I go. I can't find anything on it, and everybody told well, a few people piped up. And they said, yeah, this is what's going on. So that helped. It's like, I could figure it out. It's like, is this a movie or not? Well, Shadow the Empire, Vampire, did, did that start with? Yeah, that started yeah, with Willem Dafoe. Yeah, Willem Dafoe played Max Yeah. Yeah, oh, that is a really good movie. Yeah, that's excellent. That was up there with the one about um, the guy who did the James Whale, the one about James Whale. Came, they came around the same time, didn't they? <sighs> Not to, yeah, yeah, Gods and Monsters, which was literally right next to me as you said that. But yeah. um, they came but around yeah, the same. Around they were on the same, same time. time, weren't they? Yeah, here's the okay. actual movie poster. Okay, that looks very good. But there shot. Was, yeah, and it's supposed to be can't Robert be Eggers. Klaus, well, Robert can't be any Eggers worse than the Klaus Kinski one. <laughs> Klaus Kinski one's kind of like, oh my god, long is. I it? actually love the old vintage one. I think it's the, one of the most beautiful cinematic things I've ever seen. Don't ask me why. It's my personal opinion. <laughs> yeah, I, I like the original silent film. Okay. Redigitized one is just beautiful. And what else have I watched? Oh, I watched Succession and finished that off. Love that. And I've been watching um, some real um, reality programming. Which is Oh, you're back into Love Island again, right? No, I don't watch Love <laughs> Island. I watch this thing called Love in the Flesh where they take these people who've been chatting to each other for like months on then on the internet and then they put them on an island together and see how they get on in real life and yeah it's very sketchy let's put it that way but my daughter's into love island oh my god she's killing me like yeah, i refuse to watch that i just refuse to rot my brain further than it always been rotted this year yeah well that's huge in england so i still gotta find necromantic too because i want to see what happens to the lovely couple <laughs> wow Something to watch. So, I am too. I will watch it. <laughs> what we're going to do now is we're going to cut to an ad by Fiery Kittens Podcast, who want to thank um coming on board. And make sure after you listen to the ad, look for them, because I'm sure that you'll enjoy their show. So take it away, Fiery Kitten Podcast. Are you itching for a good story? Laughter among friends, maybe even a mystery or two? Well, you're in luck. Fire Breathing Kittens is a standalone Dungeons & Dragons podcast. Each episode is a separate three-hour-long story, like a movie for your ears, so you can listen to these adventures in any order you like. So, join us on a real-play D&D quest as we solve mysteries, attempt comedic banter, and enjoy friendship. Fire-breathing kittens podcast. Fantasy action. Mystery. Friendship. Hello, welcome back to Literary License Podcast. We're discussing The Fly from 1958. Now, The Fly is a 1958 American science fiction horror film and the first installment in the Fly film series. Produced and directed by Kurt Newman and starring David Hedison, Patricia Owens, Vincent Price, and Herbert Marshall. The screenplay by James Pavel and based on the 1957 short story of the same name by George Langelin. The film tells the story of a scientist who is transformed into a grotesque creature after a common house fly enters unseen into a mock. Molecule, molecular transporter <laughs> with which he is experimenting, resulting in his atoms being combined with those of the insect. 
Um, this was produced by a human fly hybrid. The film was released in Cinemascope, a color by Deluxe by 20th Century Fox, lenses by Bosch and Lom. It was followed by two black and white sequels, Return of the Fly from 1959 and The Curse of the Fly from 1965. And the original film was remade in 1986 by director David Cronenberg. Um, Kurt Newman would die 15 days after the release of this film. So what that was sad. Isn't that sad? Cut to the trailer of The Fly from 1958. I'll be right back. Will everyone in the theater hold on family to his seat, please? Stop it! Stop it! I'm Vincent Price. What unearthly horror did that girl gaze upon? What manner of incredible thing walked beneath that hood? It would be unfair at this time to show you any more of what went on in that laboratory where a man actually dared to play God. So fantastic words can't begin to describe it. You must see it with your own eyes to believe it when the fly comes your way. Like any other fly I've ever seen. No! 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 Please me look at the fly. I've killed Andre. Please help me. Call the police and the charge can only be murder. There were no mistresses. I had no lovers. Why did you kill him? God, don't let it get out. Inspector. Inspector, it's in the garden. Come quickly. As God is my witness, I saw the thing. It's unbelievable. I shall never forget that scream as long as I live. The fly is on its way. Watch out for it. It's far beyond anything your mind could ever conceive. podcast we're discussing the fly from 1958 and starting with you joe what are your thoughts on the fly from 1958 um well i i've been waiting a long time because i don't don't think we've um at least not since i've been here i don't think we've talked about vincent price so i've been waiting a long time to talk about him because he was the one who kind of got me into horror movies in a way he was uh was catching house on haunted hill late at night uh when i was in high school and uh this was pretty early in in uh in my seeing his films this was this was one of the ones that my my mother kept telling me oh if you're gonna watch this guy's movies you gotta go you gotta see the fly you gotta go see the fly and cheesy as some of it is and cheesy as the effects are it still holds up i still i still kind of get that uh that kind of warm fuzzy feeling watching this the other day and um I still just enjoyed it. I unfortunately, I, as I was watching it with um, with my roommate who had never seen it, um, based on the title itself and how it opens, it's a movie that kind of spoils itself because <laughs> you yeah. kind of figure out Maybe. immediately. Well, wh- why is this person's head crushed in a hydraulic press? Well, <laughs> the title of the movie is The Fly, 
and in the trailers you see the um you know the the really cool fly head on the um on a human body so you do kind of you do kind of figure it out pretty quickly so it's it's odd to me that they went that kind of like that unraveling mystery um that unraveling mystery style with this because it it probably would have been better served to do as like just a straight like monster movie but that being said what would you name it though you know well that's the thing yeah I, th- I don't um, know. You know, well, I think I I think because eight years earlier, Sunset Boulevard came out the film. Yeah, and if, if you look at this movie, it's framed the same way as Sunset Boulevard is. It's like it opens up with the murder, yeah. and then we go yeah. back in time, and it tells the story. So I'm kind of wondering if that would inspire this. Yeah, this is this is Joe floating in the pool. Yeah, yeah. Um, oh, I see what y'all are saying. Okay, okay. Like you know, I didn't think of it that way. Yeah, I wonder if that's um. If, if, if that's the way it was intended, <coughs> I did um, because. Yeah, go ahead. Because I thought the reason why they um, did it that way is because, because I think they knew what their budget was as far as special effects and what they could get away with. So therefore, by opening it that way, then what we can deal with now is a human interest story about this family, and then basically what's how, what happens with inside this family. And I think that's probably the way they framed it. Where if they did it the other way, or if they didn't do that, then you would be getting this great big payoff about what this, you know, expecting these great special effects, which you, you're you not going to really get them, really. I mean, the last scene's quite impressive. Uh, oh, yeah. But the fly, the fly head and the fly thingy, you know, there is a 19th, you know, late 50s, early 60s campness to the head. I love the head and I love the thingy. I love the head that. in this in the old one. I just absolutely yeah. love it because I, but, I don't know why. I think but he looks like but a at the same time, But yeah, but at the same time, it does have, you know, it does have its limitations. But when they, did, because they framed it this way, for me, it makes the, it actually makes the film timeless because even though you know that's going to happen to him, you're so involved with the Vincent Price character and the wife and the son and the detective and the way it's framed keeps you interested in the whole story. Where if it was just so basically it's just a special effects movie, I think it probably would miss. I think you'd be well, very. It starts out like a murder mystery, not you know, sort of. I killed my husband. How many times did she say that? You know. Well, no, she said she. Uh, yeah, did she say she killed her husband? Or she, yeah. Yeah, she, she repeats him. it multiple times, and I think yeah, Vincent now. Price is Francois. They 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 hint at uh, the idea that he he was sweet on her. I think he, the whole time he's just yeah. trying to. Are you like he's trying to like move her away? Oh, are you sure that this is what happened? Um. Well, he says he was in love with her. Somebody asked, "You're in love with her, right?" And he said, "Yeah." So he was in love with her. Yeah. And, well, he does. Yeah, he does the all the ultimate betrayal of her, though, doesn't he? Kinda. Which almost, I mean, which almost gets her put away for life, really, you know, mental institution. Right. Oh, I have, I have the fly. So tell me what happened. The, the, then, the, the fly. I don't, the I, don't have, I, don't, I don't have the fly. Yeah. Well, it is a post-atomic kind of thing. And I guess that's what they're going for because 1958, it was still post-atomic age, what you say. Oh, yeah. Definitely. And the dangers of technology, you know, where technology is kind of like this scary foreign frontier still. <laughs> Well, she she mentions that in the um, in the movie. She sits there and says that things are moving too fast, and 
that shouldn't yes, be exactly. We need exactly. to take a breath here, sort of thing, because you know, technology's just moving too quickly. And he's like, Oh, you need to explore in the future, we need to explore the science and so forth. So far. I mean, God knows what happened to that cat cat's still in the ether somewhere. I'm not sure where he is. <laughs> oh god, yeah, the cat. The cat. <laughs> cat. But I mean, that's kind of like where I wonder how much Star Trek took from this, actually, you know, the teleportation deal and what other movies nodded to it. Because, you know, there were some you guys always know this stuff. Interesting thing is, if we were ever actually able to do this, like that kind of matter transporter, it would revolutionize everything. Yeah, I'd probably make things worse. I'd probably still be I'd probably still be late for everything. That's unfortunately. (laughs) I just wish, I just want another planet. I don't know about you guys, but I just want another planet lately. Was it stop the world? I want to get off. (laughs) But, um, yeah. yeah. We do touch on it more in the, um, in, in, uh, the sequels, especially in, uh, in Curse of the Fly. There's no fly in that one. At that point, it's just the, um, uh, this family, you know, a couple decades in the future, and they are now, uh, uh, teleporting themselves from England to France to the United States. And it's just, things are going wrong and they seem to have almost perfected it, but slight things go wrong. And it's very Island of Dr. Moreau in a way, but kind of, yeah, it sounds like it. Uh, because you do have like, uh, the, the I would be where they have so hesitant to want to get in there. You know, I mean, uh, it's, it, you know, <laughs> something's going to go wrong. That's just goes again. That's like being God almost, you know? What I well, can never understand is that why did, couldn't they... Okay, so they go into pod number one, and then they end up in pod number two. I always thought that, how come they just didn't go in pod number two and just see, go back to pod number one? That might fix things. That's <laughs> a good idea. I never thought of that. It's only, it's only a one-way pod system, isn't it? It's like a one-way pod system, it seems like. So I thought... <sighs> Well, like, I mean, like think universal. about all of your atoms, you know, yeah. and I mean, just just happens for shits and giggles, a house fly, one of the nastiest little things on the planet besides a cockroach. I would love it if it was the cockroach almost because I hate cockroaches of passion. We've got cockroaches in Texas the size of sanitation trucks. I kid you not. And I mean, just just the fly is a disgusting creature when you think about it, because, you know, everybody goes, you just shoo the flies off your food. But in essence, that's just really nasty. I will eat, not eat anything a fly has landed on. I will not. Well, <laughs> especially, a- especially after the second movie we cover. That just brings it all into focus, doesn't it? What a fly actually does. You know, it's um, funny because I've seen this movie multiple times, and I and this is the this is the first time I actually figured it out. Where I couldn't understand that because the, the transportation happens, and he's got the fly head and the fly arm, and then right. he got his head inside the little the white you know the white headed fly that's sort of flying around and stuff like this. And I could never understand why he didn't make himself known. But then I figured it out because as he's digressing into being the fly. Obviously, when his head is um, progressing into him, isn't it? The head is progressing in the fly, the little white fly, the white-headed yeah, fly. But, but you mean that his consciousness is progressing into him as the as well as digressing in the other ones, and that I could never figure it out. It's like, why does the stupid fly just land where people can find it? <laughs> well, then you got figured- people trying to kill it with a fly swatter and shit. You know, <laughs> it's like <laughs> I mean that poor housekeeper. 
Oh my God. <laughs> Don't kill it. <laughs> just like, what else am I going to do with it? And you know that Mae was just thinking, which goes, quick, get me the sugar. And you know, the, you know that housekeeper's like, oh, fuck it. I'm going to have to clean this shit up. <laughs> <laughs> well, what was it? It's, it's darkly comical. Can you think about it? Because you got this insane chase of this fly going all over the place. You know, and then you got the, the lady that doesn't know why she has to preserve this fly's life because they're just nasty little creatures and you just want to kill them because they're gross. And I, I did, I, I, yeah, go ahead. I have to sit there and say, though, it's a very, very clever script. The whole thing it's is very, very clever. Very, and, and the it's way that they, they do it very, very seriously. You know what I mean? Which is fantastic. I mean, they this could have been canceled. What did I? I, no I dug business. up something about uh, what was it? Uh, yeah, Vincent Price and Marshall. They were when they were doing the films, the big climax there about you know about you know they got the fly with the web. I keep thinking of Joe now with that the flies caught in the friggin' spider web, and you oh. know, and he's going, "Help me, help me!" But it said that uh, they they said that. Vincent Price said it was terrible trying to do this. We could never quite get the lines out because every time that little voice, the fly would say, help me, help me. They'd start screaming with laughter. So it took like 20 takes to get that one scene. And I would love to find the outtakes. They got to be out there somewhere. So I'm, I'm surprised they actually even filmed it that way. I don't know. Well, that's just what I read. It was in a, a some, what is it? 18 well, things just had- you never knew about the fly. <laughs> By I, Gary well, I imagine they probably did. They probably just had someone off at the side, didn't they? Just so they can. Yeah, but I'm I, I'm I'm shocked they even did that. I'm shocked they didn't just say, "Okay, yeah, this is what's going on." But um, but one Where's thing, the every, they help me fly. Yeah, help me. Everybody, help me. Uh, everybody talks about Vincent Price, but David Hedison, um, is that his name? The uh, uh, who plays Andre? Yes, yeah. he's really good for a performance that's. Um, for a good chunk of this movie, a very silent performance. Yeah, he's got that uh, look about him too. He's got a- there was, yeah. Uh, but, the, but his, you you could kind of see in his performance like he was. The, 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 it must have been, must have been really hard to do because he uh, he's he's got to look like he's not in control of his own body. And the, the you know he's got to like grab his grab his own arm because the the the, the fly arm is. Uh, trying to move this way, and you you, you could kind of see that he's um you, you could kind of see the struggle in, in the performance. So I, I I really dug that. Nobody I, I feel like nobody ever talks about it. But I'm like that's a really good silent performance. And I mean, it's also kind of I mean, kind of got this tragedy about it because you have this this family that's almost idyllic. Uh, everything is uh, everything is going well. Everything seems to be perfect. You got the little kid from Thirteen Ghosts as your as your son, and uh, then all of a sudden, yeah, this one one little mistake, you know, because it, it's the idea of taking your eye off the ball for a second can fuck you up. I have to then say that all the acting is very very strong, from the smallest parts all the way up to there, and. You know, and you don't normally get that in this kind of a film normally. There's always some kind of hokey kind of acting going on somewhere or someone's got their tongue firmly in their cheek. But, but this one, I mean, they play it very, very Not at well. all in this one. I mean, it, yeah, and that's what's fantastic. I think that's what really sells it. I mean, <coughs> but, I mean, basically, I mean, Vincent Price is basically a supporting character in this as well. Yeah. It's funny, it's funny that, you know, it's, you know, 
it's now considered a Vincent Price film, but at the end of the day, he's just really a supporting character. I don't think he's ever done a character I can't say I've disliked. Honestly. You know, um, I mean, Witchfinder General, he was a real asshole, yeah, but he was really good I, at it, though. But he was, was going to so say, that's the only one I can think of is the Witchfinder General. He's a total prick in that. Oh, but, but he's, he's fabulous at doing that, though, you know? Oh, yeah. um, if you look at some of his... Um, uh, noir films that he did like um, Laura and things like that. He plays a really good bastard. Yeah, The Web. But even... Sorry? There's a movie called The Web where he, he's he's kind of a prick in that too. Yeah, the noir stuff, he was, he was much more of an asshole. Yeah, yeah, but he's good at it though. Yeah. Well, even, but even in because um, we, did, we did cover a bunch of um, Vincent Price films when we did our Edgar Allan Poe season. Like, yeah, so a lot of, a lot of his, yeah, a lot of his stuff came through there. I still can't and, find those glasses from Tomb of Lygia. He had those black sunglasses yeah. on. I want a pair of those so bad, and I can't find them. But um, but if you look at the, the Edgar Allan Poe films that he did, I mean, none of those characters were likable, were they? Really? I mean, okay, the comedy ones when he did the Raven with you know that's all done for laughs. But if you look at like Gia and you look at you know. Um, you know, Mask of the Red Death and you know House of Ushers is like yeah. he's not the those nicest character in those movies. Loved he wasn't every the nicest character in those. I love him and you know, everything he does, but when you think, but when you think of some of those films, like you know, you think, oh, but then when you, I remember rewatching it, it was like God, he's not a lot, he's not a very likable character, but he's very likable. It's kind of bizarre. Yeah, well, his his charisma always came through in his roles, and I think that that's why no matter what he did. I mean, Theater of Blood and the Abominable Dr. Fives are basically slasher movies. Um, and yeah, he's not likable in those either. But there is this this personality and this charisma that's always come through with him. Um, and it's always made you like him no matter what he was doing on screen. Yeah. Yeah. And he has made some turkeys, like The Bat, for instance, with Agnes Moorhead. And <laughs> that was yeah, but but you can't stop. I mean, but when they're on, you can't stop watching them. He could, he could, he's the kind of person that can, you know, basically sell a sewage sewage to you, and you just buy it. You know what I mean? He's just there's something about he's got that special quality that I mean, he was in this very movie, few people really have. He was in the song of Bernadette with Jennifer Jones as a mean kind of old lawyer, and I mean that was a tearjerker of a movie anyway. But he was in the end of that. And I mean, you know, he becomes the believer kind of sort of when he finds out he's dying of cancer at the end of that movie. I just bawl every time I watch that stinking movie. It's so sad, but it's great. Well, isn't he also in like the Ten Commandments and other films like that, isn't he? Yeah, he was uh, He was one of the slave drivers in the Ten Commandments. And again, yeah, he was the one that Moses killed. He was the, the dirty, yeah. perverted old slave driver. Master <laughs> slave driver. Master butcher. And when he dies, you're really upset that he's gone. <laughs> he's there's just something about him that he's he's you know he's one of those guys like Keith said he could so, yeah he's he could sit there reading the phone book and, and you're going to be entertained good. by it. You're going to be entertained by it. There's just some innate quality with him that just he was just that good. He was that 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 charismatic a performer. I mean, I I would also sit there and say that if it wasn't him on the song Thriller, I don't think Thriller would have been the success that it was. His narration when that comes on basically just really sells it. I mean, you know what I mean? It's oh, just God, like, yeah. 
Absolutely. I listened to it just to hear him on there, too. I love the song, too. And I remember, you know, like when we were young girls, we had to dance, you know, I'd probably throw my back out if I try to do that now. But also uh, on the uh, the the track Devil's Food by Alice Cooper, where he's uh, he's talking about uh, he's talking about the Black Widow. That's that's fantastic. Alice Cooper had a great little horror show going back in the day. Yeah, yeah. I, he, he's one I got to scratch off my bucket list. I got to go see him before he uh, before he dies. I've seen him like four or five times. You have to see his song, especially when he does Feed by Frankenstein. Mind-blowing fun. Love it. I saw Love Alice. Alice Cooper. I didn't see him in concert, but when in the late 90s, they re-brought out Jesus yeah. Christ Superstar at the Lyceum here, and he played Pontius Pilate. No, he played Pete really? Herod. So he'd come out every night and do his bat, and then that'd be it. <laughs> Like just, he was fantastic. And then I, I noticed that John Legend. I remember that John Legend reused him again for his version when they televised it live that time. So it's like, well, okay. But, yeah. But so if it was mean, televised, I should be able to get my hands on it somehow. I, I I'll, I'll look for that. The John Legend ones televised it. That's available. That's available. The Jesus Christ Superstar. The the new yeah, version. The live everybody's one. dressed dressed funky. I don't know what the Roman Praetorian Guard guys have got on. Mm-hmm. But it's totally different from the other one. A lot of people hated it, but I just love the music. I don't really give a shit who's singing. The music's fantastic. I think the only thing that kind of missells it a little bit is that there's a little bit too much going on. I would hate to be there and see it live, but on screen, I mean, it works fine on television. And um, John Legend's vocals. I mean, Jesus is not a hard sing until you get to that one Jesus song. I, I only want to say, how, you know, how will oh, I die? And then yeah. you have to go, ah, you know, and you can't really do that sort of thing. Well, but Ian Gillian and who was the other one? Ted Neely, man, they were screamers. They just were. <laughs> they just. Well, we had this Scottish guy called Steve Boschimo. Um, I'll send you his link on WhatsApp. You got to hear him sing it. And this, this guy is gorgeous looking. And then he opens his mouth and he just has his heavy rock um, axel rose kind of voice that comes out of it when he does that it's like, oh i remember God. in 93 i went to the landmark theater to see the ted neely production one of the last ones of jesus christ superstar because i was pregnant with my daughter Brittany. i remember that because i was trying to find a comfortable spot and i was just like Pfft. but um it was just amazing he's still amazing. performing it you know every once in a while i mean he was he was on tour with it about three or four years ago was he really yeah i mean he's like 70 almost 80 years old now and he's still playing jesus i mean jesus died when he was 32 (laughs) (laughs) Uh, i mean going back to the fly i have to give patricia owens a nod there as well i don't i don't know where else i've seen her before but she's fantastic in this is the one especially when she's screaming and you see the fly's view of her screaming and all these little faces well what i also liked about her performance is that she keeps it low key she never goes into the huge hysterics at all okay as the scream when she sees the fly head but she keeps it very low key and to be honest you know even in she does everything very slight which i think is very impressive like when she's like you know she's sitting there and she gets her breakfast straight she hears a fly and she's just, just moving around you know sort of thing and she just does everything very very small which is fantastic because I think if someone else kind of did it, they probably would have done it quite big. You know, they kept moving their head like in great big exaggerated moments, but she just keeps everything very contained. And I thought I found her very, I mean, I found her very, like she's very watchable as well, considering that 
in the end of the day, you're basically following her from the beginning of the film to the end, really. It really is yeah, her story, she, yeah. Yeah, she's your yeah. typical 50s housewife kind of thing, too. You know, mm-hmm. but, the, but the husband and the house and the whole nine yards and her husband turns into an insect, you know? <laughs> well, I mean, the thing is, is she's almost a single mother as well, isn't she? Really? Yeah, he's never there. He's never there. And, you know, she's got, I mean, she's off going off to parties on their own. There's folk they'll go to. And, you know, and he goes, oh, we'll go out for the evening. I mean, you know, she could have been a bit more stronger when they, you know, he's like, what, you put the cat in there. And basically my son's, our son's been fright, having difficulty sleeping and having difficulty because his pet's got, so gone. And so, you know, she could have put her, you know, she could have been you know, the character, there. like even, even with uh, either, either character that plays, you know, uh, uh, the, the fly guy there, either, either, which, whichever one, Brendel Fly or even him, they're selfish too. When you think about it, they're so into their own shit that they don't realize how everything's going on around them, you know? And it, it was, that's one thing I noticed because they got a, this quest to be godlike, you know, with their technology and it, it becomes an obsession and it, you know, it doesn't do anything good for everybody around them either. I also think, um, I think a scientist, it seems like a scientist is painted like the same way an artist is painted. You know, they're very into their art or their job and, and nothing else matters outside of that. So, you know, like the striving, you know, the striving artists, you know, whether it's, you know, Surratt or mm-hmm. Picasso or anything like this. Right. And it seems like that the scientists are always very one driven, very driven and, you know, single minded toward their experiment. I think so. I do kind of wonder. I mean, you know, it is a bit premature that he put him, he went from hamster to himself. <laughs> I mean, it's kind of like, you know, you might want to work your way up, you know, work your way up the mammal scale, you know, go hamster and then maybe, I don't know, try to get the family cat back, maybe, or and then maybe, you know, maybe, maybe an ape, something with a bit more. I mean, the human body is very, very complicated. <laughs> so it's, it is a bit more complicated than a hamster. <laughs> so. I mean, it's kind of a jerk move also to uh, have a um, do do the plate and it and it comes in, and it comes out comes back inside out and then you're like, well, let me throw the cat in there. Yeah, like, no kidding. Yeah. It's like oh. I know it's like God, it's fucking mean. That doesn't even account for the baboon in the second one. It's like, well, people are just, I'd hate to be a, a lab animal because let's face it, they do such cruel things to animals. And I understand the need, but, you know, I just don't want I to was, know about it. I was thinking that um, if they threw David Bowie in with his eye color, the other way around, because he has one blue eye and one green eye, <laughs> like Jane Seymour, just opposites. <laughs> so the blue like, eye on the right would be on the left. <laughs> Well, if you're figure though, I mean that would be quite the thing to have something. Your atoms are all mixed up and smashed around, and you're teleporting to something else. That's that's kind of that's really kind of mind boggling. Just to think that you can reassemble perfectly, you know. Well, it's a bit like um, television was apparently like that in the early days, anyway, because it'd be. Because what would happen with television is like if you know your aerial would pick it up and then you scramble it in your television, and then the early television the wording would be backwards. Because it'd remember be like Willy Wonka, the little kid turns to the little shit that likes to eat too much TV. My TV, TV. 
Mike TV. <laughs> uh, yeah. And his little atoms are above everybody. And he's going over to wherever, you know. That's what it reminded me of. I mean, that's I, basically what it is. I mean, I was quite interesting when they said the fly costume featured a 20-pound fly head from which he said trying to act in it was like trying to play the piano with boxing gloves on. <laughs> <laughs> he said Henderson was never happy with the makeup, but the makeup artist, Ben Nye, remained very positive about his work, writing years later that, that despite being many subsequent science fiction films, I never did anything as sophisticated or, as, or original as the fly. Which is quite interesting. I mean, a 20-pound head. I mean, that must have given you a headache. I mean, it's probably a good thing that you don't see him in the head for, for very long, maybe. Could you imagine carrying this It was kind of a short, well, it was the end, really. You don't see him like that because he's got the cloth over. And he's sitting there eating his food. That kind of gnarled me out without even looking at it. Because like I, like I said, bugs just gross me the hell out. And he's just putting his head down with his cloth over his head. You could hear him sucking up all the food, you know? It's- just just thinking about it, it's just Slurping. like cringe. Slurping away. <laughs> yeah. Cringe, cringe, cringe. So um let's give this a rating then. Out of a scale of one to five, how many how many these stars would you give this? I go four and a half. Um, it, it's, it's got that fifties camp and, you know, in the grand scheme of things, it's a little too simplistic. Um, but I, it's still a captivating story. It still holds you, still holds your attention for the hour and a half or so that it, uh, that it runs. So I, I would never, uh, I would definitely recommend it to anybody. It's, it got me kind of watching a couple of, um, a couple of sci-fi movies from that era. Cause I, I just watched, uh, there's so many too. Uh, the Deadly Mantis. While I was, uh, I, that is one of my favoriteest movies in the entire world. I used to think that was real when I was five years old. There was a was giant so praying mantis somewhere. It was so cheesy too, but it, it, it's cheesy as movie, hell. But it's awesome. <laughs> it's awesome. This movie stuff. got me in the mood to watch more cheesy '50s sci-fi. So I that's guess. what I've been doing actually for the last week and a half. I just love that stuff. I forgot so, how great it is. I guess on that level, it, 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 it it's fine because it, it left me wanting more of these types of films. <laughs> and um, I like both of the sequels to this version. I think they're both, uh, they both work in their own way, even the one without Vincent Price. Um, because the, the, there was more, more to that story than um, that you could pick up on. Um, is there it a definitely movie? could have been somebody could pick up on it and probably do something with it because there is a, yeah. there, there could be, you know, some closure to that. There's always no closure with movies like this. What happened to the people? You know, Return, Return of the Fly. I liked. Uh, I, I I liked because of the you know, it had a really cool supporting cast too. Because you had uh, uh, Dan Seymour, who's in a lot of the um, a lot of the old Humphrey Bogart movies. He was he was always oh, like yeah. uh, one of the um, one of the villains or one of the cops or something like that in those. And he's he's a good villain here. Um, that one is more of like a straightforward horror slash sci-fi movie. Curse of the Fly, I had slept on for so long because I never I watched it once as a kid and I didn't really like it. And then when I went back now, um, I went back and I watched it and there's all this um, 
the gaslighting of the main character, who is this woman who escapes from an asylum. And the family, the descendants of basically Francois and Andre, years from now, um, they're harboring this secret because they keep trying to put people through the uh, through the teleportation. There's always like a little thing turns them into turns them into something, uh, some kind of monster, and they're keeping them in a stable. But now, because she is married into the family, and she was. Um, she was in a mental asylum and that uh, they kind of use that against her, kind of make it seem like she's crazy whenever she's trying to tell people, no, they have these, these beasts in the stable. Like I do kind of like both. There's a lot you could do with it. And yeah, I, I love, love this movie. So. What about yourself, Bix? I just give it a five just because of the warm fuzzy and the, the happiness it brings me to think of monster movie matinee when I was a little kid. And I just love that shit. And I did. My mother, <laughs> my mother just always watch it with me. When I go home to visit, we'll watch this goofy shit still together. But I mean, there's so many cool things. Everybody wants CGI. I get it. You want the Godzilla and you want the, the King Kong of now and everything. But there's just something just so cool and so good and so simple about post-atomic era sci-fi. You know, it's just it's just good it's stuff. Fun. It's, it's fun. a lot of fun. I mean, I just watch it. I mean, it's one of those movies, no matter what, like if it's a rainy day and you got regular cable on, I'll sit there and watch it, you know? Yeah, it's, these these are the kinds of movies that, like, you know, uh, my uh, my mom and my dad used to like. And, yeah. I, you know, like, the kind of stuff I used to watch with them. And actually, I realize this now, watching this movie again, because my mother, whenever she saw me watching Vincent Price movies, she would not, I'm like, he's, he's an American. He's born in St. Louis. Yeah. But she would always be like, no, he's a French actor, isn't he? I'm like, no, he's, he's not. And I realized because this is the movie of, her, of his that she knew, and his name is Francois, and it's set in Quebec. That must have, in her mind, put it in there. That maybe, he's French yeah, actor. maybe. <laughs> so, but yeah, these are, these are the kinds of movies that I just enjoy, like just kind of vegging out and just kind of having fun with. Especially the end with the help me, help me. My immaturity level just comes out so much with that. So help me. That's and the yeah, one thing. Everybody sticks out in any horror fan's head is the fly, you know, stuck in the spider web. And then you got the spider looking at him like this, you know. And well, it's also it's, mentioned, that ending is also mentioned in a lot of films. Like one of my favorite films is Lucas with yeah. Corey Haim. And, um, it's, and, you know, when they go, they go to the, uh, like a double feature and they're showing the fly and they got them yeah. in the car. They got him in the car later on, and you know, and they're going, "Help me, help me!" They <laughs> talking about. They're all talking about this. It's like as soon as they say that, you know what they just saw. You know, it's, yeah, it's exactly. You know, it's history. It's you know, it's not, you know, cinematic history. The effect is cheesy, but it it works, man. You know, I mean, for for 1958, it's fine. I don't know. I thought I mean, it was pretty effective watching the guy with the little head on there. You know, well, especially when you got the spider, like. The first thing it's doing is chomping down on its head. Yeah, I thought that was quite horrific. It's gruesome. Yeah, it's and gruesome, and it's scary when you're eight years old. And well, it must have been big throw in like you know when this film came out in 1958. That was even more gruesome. You know, oh, we're definitely. desensitized, and we find it gruesome. Can you imagine 1958? It must have been like. <laughs> well, it's because it's it's the point of view of the of the spider coming down on you. So that's yeah. what's really terrifying and, about and we, it. And we also. And we also know what spiders do to flies within their webs anyway. They sit and they bite down on the head and they suck out all the blood. 
Or if you're an asshole like us when we were kids throwing bugs into spider webs to see what happens. (laughs) The little morbid shits that we were. (laughs) And they're being and being wrapped up and everything. I mean, I'm going to give the fly a five star rating. Um, the reason why it's me for five star rating is it's a very, very strong script, strong performances. Definitely, it, it bypasses you know time and space for something that could be very hokey. It could have been done like very camp. It's not done at all, and it's to me, it's not. I, mean, I even love the way it's filmed and the color just pops as well. I mean, I don't know. It's kind of bizarre that he had the first film as like this colorized film, and then the sequels are black and white, which is kind of odd. That is weird. The, I never understood that. The, well, the last one even was done in 1965, so it's kind of like color was kind of a thing by that time, sort of thing. Right. So, you know, because um, color television was only two years behind that, but films were doing color way before that. So, but um, but yeah, I. The Fly for me is a solid five star for me. Oh god! And I, every time I watch it, I love it. So I can't. can't I watched it, it like here. two or three times this week because I liked it so much. Like I, I kept finding new things that I kept missing. Mm. You do. It's great script. I mean, I have to it's a very strong script as well. Very. Strong. Oh, no complaints at all. Brings us to The Fly from 1986, which is an American science fiction horror film directed and co-written by David Cronenberg. It was, a tr- uh, was produced by Brooks Films and distributed by 20th Century Fox. The film stars Jeff Goldblum, Gina Davis, and John Getz. It was loosely based on the George Langland's 1967 story of the same name in the 1958 film that we just covered. The Fly tells a story about the eccentric scientist who, after one of his experiments goes wrong, slowly turns to a fly hybrid creature. The score was composed by Howard Shore, and the makeup effects were created by Chris Wallace, along with the makeup artist Stephen Dupuis. Dupuis? Dupuis? And I'm sorry, John, Stephen, if you're alive today, I'm sorry if I massacred your name. Um, the Fly was released on April 15, 1986, massive acclaim by critics and audiences with praise, mainly regarding the special effects in full-blown performance. It grows 60.6 million at the box office against his $9 million budget, becoming the largest commercial success of Cronenberg's career. Wallace and Dupree um, work on the film resulted in their winning an Academy Award for Best Makeup. The only Oscar won by a film directed by Cronenberg. A sequel directed by Wallace was released in 1989. We're going to do this cut to the trailer and be right back to discuss The Fly from 1986. I think you're making a mistake. I think you really want to talk to me. Sorry, I have three other interviews to do before this party's over. Yeah, but they're not working on something that'll change the world as we know it. They say they are. Yeah, but they're lying. There is a limit, even to the imagination. Human teleportation, molecular decimation, breakdown, and reformation is inherently purging. Where our greatest creations meet our deepest fears. Something went wrong, Seth. When you went through, something went wrong. 
are about to go beyond that limit. Those weird hairs that were growing out of your back, I had them analyzed. But they were definitely not human. If you saw how scared and angry and desperate he I'm sure Typhoid Mary was a very nice person, too, when you saw her socially. No! You're afraid to be destroyed and recreated, aren't you? You're changing, Seth. Everything about you is changing. Oh, no. What's happening to me? Am I dying? I want to know what's going on. What does the disease want? Wants to turn me into something else. Oh, no. A fly got into the transmitter pod with me that first time when I was alone. Don't go back to it. It could be contagious. Uh, I'm afraid! Don't be afraid! No. Be afraid. Be very afraid. Welcome back to the Choices Podcast, and we're discussing The Fly from 1986, directed by David Cronenberg. And Vicky, what are your thoughts on this film? Gross. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I, I end up watching stuff that I know is just going to violate my brain because I know it's going to be nasty. Because I, I knew even before that somewhere in this film, there was going to be a live birth of an insect in some capacity. So it, whether it was a dreamscape or whether it wasn't, but I mean, it, it, it goes, it, it, it kind of rivals the other one, but again, we have the extra special, you know, effects with this one. And we got a hornier fly, obviously, because they go into what fly, I mean, he's actually being a fly because that's what little fly, that's what flies do. They're born, they become maggots and they breed other little flies. And they're gross and they throw up on their food and it disintegrates and then they suck it back down with their straw, like whatever the hell that is in their mouth. But um, I found out some of the the background of this was just almost just as interesting as um, as as the production itself. I didn't know Mel Brooks was really largely responsible for getting this into production and he wanted to stay out of it because he was afraid no one would take the film seriously. You know, he was also behind David Lynch's Elephant Man. I didn't know that. You know, just just interesting stuff. And um, they wanted Cronenberg originally for The Fly. And he was because he was studying to be an entomologist in college. Did not know that either. And uh, they were, uh, I guess they, but they weren't going to have him. I guess, what was it? uh, Bierman was going to be the director. Mm-hmm. And he dropped out of the fly. Producers learned that Cronenberg was no longer working on Total Recall and he was available. Now, what happened to uh, Bierman's daughter was killed in an accident in South Africa. That's what happened. And he, they got him for that role because he really wanted Cronenberg to do it. But I have to remember watching The Vampire's Kiss because I don't remember that one. Do you guys remember that? That's the one with the Nicholas Cage. Cage. Yeah, I yeah. believe so. Because he was supposed to, I guess he goes on to make uh, Bierman goes on to make that as opposed to doing this particular uh, fly. 
But I mean, there's a whole bunch of stuff behind the scenes on this that what went on. And I mean, I totally forgot that Gina Davis and Gold, uh, Goldblum were actually an item back in the day when they were doing this. Forgot yeah, about that, well, too. That, that was that was actually part of the marketing. Um, Premier Magazine would have these two on the couple. Like, this new power couple of Hollywood are making a film together. So um, I think they broke up shortly after this because she did a movie with Rennie Harlan and it kind of ran off of him. But, right. Um, but I, but I remember that this that this is all part of the marketing campaign of these two dating, and you know, yeah, they had them like together, you know, with a sheet wrapped around them as like you know part of the you know not as, on magazine covers. And you know, the kind of sex like, was kind of ooey after a while because I know and you know that he's you know just exchanged atoms with a fly. That you know, like the girl he picks up. You know, that's kind of vulgar sex when you think about it, because did you see the look on his face? She's obviously not from her purview seeing what, you know, the look on his face, but he's just mating to make other little flies, <laughs> you know, well, he turns into, to, but what's kind of like drugged up, what's kind of just drugged up and alcohol filled anyway, the girl that he yeah. picks up. Yeah. I thought, every, I thought she was a junkie or something. So I thought, okay. Yeah, I was trying. I knew that's she was she comes off. Huh? I said, yeah, that's definitely the way she comes off, is that she's just kind of this junkie, yeah. And then Gina yeah. Davis walks in on... The, basically, the whole thing is that it's a definitely more modern take on the on the, the 58 version. But, I mean, I watched it twice because I, I was trying to get a better handle on it because when you watch things... I haven't watched it in years. And when you watch things, like I always say, with your older, new adult eyes, whatever, you always find mm-hmm. stuff that was just kind of fascinating. And I just... I mean, I, I didn't really catch on the first few times I watched it when I was younger that when he he's trying to put Gina Davis into the the Adam Smasher or whatever you want to call it, that he wants to become a single human with baby. She's pregnant by him. And, you know, he wants them all yeah. to be in unison in one big, you know, happy entity of sorts. And it just, well, it's just an ooey feeling. <laughs> But I think what it does, this film does, maybe maybe it's because I'm a woman, I don't know. But it it, it kind of pushed up against my comfort zone, I guess. You know what I mean? A little bit. This this film very much fits into the body horror of David Cronenberg anyway. Right. I thought what was quite interesting about this film is that the first one is basically a family drama with a science fiction um, aspects in it. This is basically the science and the, this is the reality if this would really happen. This is what would happen. So they've gone for more of a realistic scientific approach to this, which I thought kind of adds to it actually, because it's very believable. I mean, for the simple fact that this happened, this is what's going to happen. Now, as far as mixing your DNA and going as far as would your body mutate um, on this matter I mean we don't know do we but it's an interesting premise and it's a premise that that you take seriously which is quite a quite an amazing feat if you think about it you know that basically you're going to go into this pod your DNA is going to mix and you're slowly going to become this and it's very believable now whether it I mean and it, it feels like I mean it's kind of even though it's the science fiction, this feels like science fact when you're watching this because all fun and games until you put a bad. We've done an amazing job. 
the poor baboon, though, it turns inside out. I mean, I'm an animal lover. That was torturous to watch. And I knew it's like, it's not real. It's not real. He didn't turn the baboon inside out. (laughs) I mean, the Chris Wallace effects are so good. Precisely. And and Jeff Goldblum's performance really sells it. He was fantastic, Jeff Goldblum, for being a little known guy from the big chill, you know. Well, well Jeff really- Goldblum's career was basically the goof, the goofy, nerdy guy, and everything. Whether it was Adventures of Buckaroo Bonanza, or yeah, Buckaroo Bonanza, or, I forgot about that. Oh you know, and he always was like the geeky person. Um, I mean, the oddest thing about it is that after this film came out, that uh, his career never really soared like it should have. I mean, we don't. He kind of is like there and there, but then he doesn't come back until like Jurassic Park. Jurassic Park. That's what he really kicked in, I think. Well, yeah. only as that it, character, but he's but he's one of these actors that kind of is just always under the scale, no matter what they do and how big they become. They kind of hit, and then they kind of go away, and they hit, and they go away, sort of thing. And then Gina Davis, of course, I'm going out to do what Thelma Louise, and that made her big for a while. So, I mean, is she one of those uh, people that kind of got screwed over by Weinstein? Gina no, Davis. I don't think so I don't yeah, think I don't so. Think I mean, no, I mean the list is she, long and, and, and infamous, but I don't think she was on there. Well, she started out as a glorified extra in Tootsie. A what? That's her, well, that's right. The, the glorified extra in Tootsie. Basically, is that she was, they needed someone who was pretty, and they put her in Tootsie, and they just wanted someone to say one line. And that's her, first, that's her start. I mean, the amazing thing is, is that Jeff Goldblum is over six foot tall and Gina Davis is six foot tall. So I have these two people. It's probably the first time in movie history where the two leads are basically almost the same height. <laughs> the one standing That's in a right. Box they're both movie. very, they're both pretty tall. Yeah. But the, the one thing, though, that I was trying to figure out. OK, so we know she gets pregnant and that she knows she tells the other lover, the old boyfriend slash boss that she wants it out of her now and they're trying to find her an abortion and everything but what i'm trying to understand she had sex with him before he even atomized himself right yeah she had sex because he, he went through the system and then they had sex because he's really excited she goes oh you got your stamina is really there oh that's right okay so so technically i guess if it genetically screwed him up his sperm counts looking pretty ugly so, um, it's, it's really it's really hard to say because the mutation in him is a gradual mutation so it's not an overnight mutation so as far as um his sperm um mutating uh, and mutating and, it might be it might it might it might be the old genes it might not have new new genes that are mutated he's he's mutating at a gradual pace and so it's hard to really say what the baby would be i mean you can guess I mean, he was the only actor that, that they found that would take on the role that didn't mind all the latex and the horrible makeup and all the crap that you got to go through to, you know, portray mm-hmm. this, this character. But I thought he did such a fantastic job. He's already weird anyway. Let's face it. Jeff Goldblum is a little weird, but that's what makes him great. And well, I mean, yeah, I couldn't have just... thought of a, another person to take his place for this after watching it. <laughs> Well, that's that's his persona. Like Keith was saying earlier, he was always the uh, the, the 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 weird nerd and and everything. And he he's and he's another one. He's got such great charisma that even well, there's one thing this movie does better than than the original, and that's the the kind of descent into madness. Um, right, right, yeah, it does show that. You're right. And even when you're when you're listening to him babble, 
like he's babbling about Brundlefly and how, he, yeah. how this, 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 uh, he's so entertaining doing that that you, you kind of chuckle at it. He's he's like Vincent Price, you know. He's one of those guys. He just he's just got so much charisma. He's got so much personality, and he just comes through even under all that all those prosthetics when uh, when he's uh, Brundlefly. I love that he names himself too. I love that he names himself Brundlefly. I like it when um, he's, he's sitting there trying to type, and he's got the the pencil in his mouth, and his teeth are falling out. Yeah. I mean, I mean, just my vanity alone would have me freaking out and wanting to shoot myself at that point. It's just like, oh my god, he's so ugly, and it's such a horrible countenance that he starts to descend in, or he's evolving into, and there's nothing. Even if he does get that fly, and they put it, they try to exchange. I don't think there's changing that stuff back no. you know i think he's I, just I mean rude. the funny thing about jeff goldblum is that i just remember the first movie one of the first movies of solomon when he basically playing the rapist murderer in death wish <laughs> oh that's right he was in that wasn't he i knew i'd seen him in something else and i couldn't figure out where it was yeah he he's the he's the guy that follows him from the grocery store yeah oh god yeah, yeah that's right that is like one of the worst rape scenes I've ever seen. I can normally watch stuff like that, but there's something just particularly brutal about that in Death Wish. That 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 was a real brutal rape scene. It just was. Well, I mean, he's been around since 1974. But I wouldn't have remembered him if he not said that. I, I watched Death Wish recently, and I remember like I mean before I mean before the big chill, I remember him in the remake of Invasion of the Body Snatchers. That's right. He was yeah, he was the the nerdy sidekick in that too. Yeah. You're right. And then, I'm gonna have to know, rewatch course, that now. And then of course you had the big chill, and then the right stuff came out. Yeah. And, and so it's kind of funny, but you see him getting like bigger and bigger. But he always played the kind of awkward. Tall. I like him. I mean, to be honest, he's, he's very and he's very big featured as well. I mean, he's you know he's got he got a big eye. I mean. he's very tall and very lanky as well. So. Well, he is kind of cute in a weird sort of way. So when she's saying he's really adorable and she just eat him to pieces, you know, there's just something about it. You want to squeeze his little cheeks. But then he just goes from handsome, cute to just, God, it's just it's such a horror. I mean, you can tell it's Cronenberg. You really can. Especially well, with the look- birth of the maggot. That just about put me out every time I see that. But then he does like really, I mean, the, I think the thing with Goldberg, Goldblum is, is what's quite funny is that he'll do like the fly and then okay and then he'll do like some straight to video stuff and say like, okay you know he's, you know and then he'll like and then, it, and then it'll pop up like an alien earth girls are easy and you're like what are you doing in this <laughs> I, mean, I love earth girls are easy I mean actually know. now that I think of it he he worked with Michael Winner a lot because he was also in uh, Michael Winner's The Sentinel yeah. he had a part in that Oh yeah, so that's I, right. That, I don't that remember a, that. Yeah. That is a batshit crazy movie. Yeah, that's the one. Guys, uh, if you guys want to watch a a very very strange, uh, very Always. strange horror movie from the early eighties, uh, this uh, the Sentinel is a is a weird one with uh, Beverly D'Angelo is like a chronic masturbator. Really? Um, How did this one get by me? <laughs> Uh, they live with their sister. Oh, that's right. I did watch that. I remember uh, was, that. Was it her sister? Or was it like she has her like, mother? It's her, her mother. 
or her lo- or some kind of lover lesbian or lesbian lover or something yeah, in the book lover. it's a lesbian lover I read the book in the book that they're mother and daughter and they do really i'm not even going to go into the graphics of the sex between mother and i've never daughter. read the book I, i've seen the movie the movie is but i have well, seen the, the movie the, now that i think about it and i remember that scene that's why i just don't remember the whole movie the author of that book it used to be a really good friend to the used to promote all our stuff in our um our literary agency Really, that's yeah. cool. So, and we—I mean, we—I still get emails from him once in a while, but it's like, but he's—he's a lot. Of, um, I mean, I still get his books to review. Um, uh, what's his name? I can't. I mean, uh, <laughs> I probably have the DVD here, which will but, probably list his uh, his name on it somewhere. Like, if, if I could fucking spot it, I totally yeah, forgot about that. Je- Jeffrey Kinnett's. There. There it is. Is that 77 uh, or is that a 1980 movie? It's, it might be 77. 70, I, I, I might, well, the book was published in 74. The adaption was in 1977. There you go. Okay. I was going to so, say, I, I said 1980, but it could very well be 1977. Oh, that's right. Christina Reigns is in this. I remember this now. Michael Winner. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. He, yeah I, I, could, I just realized now he worked with, well, he worked with, um, with Goldblum a lot. Apparently, yeah. yeah, they 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 must have liked working together. Chris Sarandon well, was in that. He always pops up in movies all the time. I've noticed he just he just shows up now from older Michael movies. Win- that- yeah, I don't think Michael Winter would be we get funding nowadays because all his films have are about rape and <laughs> women, women being abused or something, aren't they? Yeah, almost always. <laughs> um, I remember watching something where. Um, Oh, what is her name? She wound up on Star Trek. Uh, she was the uh, the woman that was uh, that was the rape victim in Death Wish Three. She was talking about just how working on Death Wish Three was just like one of the most traumatic experiences of her life because of just uh, the the way the rape scenes were filmed during that. And so, yeah, Michael Michael Winner nowadays would like even the the Death Wish remake that came out a couple years ago, and you have Eli Roth doing it. That had to be toned down quite a bit. You would never I, did, I don't think I watched it. Was it because yeah. of the Me Too movement, the rape scenes, or well, uh, no, I it's just, what year this came out? But uh, it's, it's it, so the Death Wish remake's okay. It's just not. It's not. I never good. watched it. Well, he made. Um, I mean, he did do one where the woman gets the revenge thing called Dirty Weekend. Right, that was one of his last movies. Can't that one not. Um, and that's. Um, but I mean, it's still quite. Hard hitting from a, a, a modernized version. I mean, this is like the 90s, maybe late 90s that he came up after the last film. I've uh, seen some. To, I've seen some people putting. They're they're not really sparing people these days. When those it comes kinds of to, like uh, those like rape revenge movies, like you really like. I know they they rebooted. Um, I spit on your grave, but I don't. I feel like you really two, can't. Tw- three times. And there was a, well, no, a the, 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 the other ones are just sequels to the original yeah. remake. So yeah, there, there, there's now a direct sequel to the original that uh, that came out. My friend Maria also. Uh, she's the wife of one of the victims from the first movie. I didn't see that. What's it called? Oh, when you get a chance to spit on your grave, deja vu. What is it? I spit on your grave, deja vu. I did not see that one. But these, brought, uh, but these kinds of movies, like you can't like make like MS forty five or Miss forty five or I a thriller or cruel picture. You can't make those now. You're right. You'd never be able to get them done. Yeah, 
And even though Ms. 45, in effect, is quite a female-empowered movie in its own right, if you think about it. I mean, you know, she... The rape is bloody horrible. I don't the know. Big Driver was horrible, pretty but, rough. Big Driver, she, that was rough. Yeah, but she... I mean, she gets a revenge sort of thing. I well, mean, that's the whole point. Know. I mean, the brutal rape, but boy, she kicks his ass. All of them. It's like... I love her in that movie. I didn't know that that was Joan Jett as the bartender. I was like five days old when I learned that was Joan Jett. Totally, she should have pursued acting. You know that? Well, well she I mean, did. She did, she did, she did Light of Day, didn't she? With, with Michael J. Fox, which she's very good in. Right. The movie's not very good, but she's the one that got all the praise. So, I, I was in a movie with her. Really? Um, Two thousand one. <laughs> She was she was nice. Um, she was nice enough. And uh, what's his name? He was in. Um, uh, he's in uh, Frankenhooker. He's the lead in Frankenhooker. James Lorenz. He was oh, the male lead. It. And basically, yeah, like I was just. Uh, I, 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 I was an extra. I didn't have any lines. But there were a few a uh, few times where like my characters just like sitting there like it's. Uh, I'd never seen the movie. Um, I don't know if it, I think it got finally released like in 2012 or something. It went straight to DVD, but this was like 10 years after it was made. Um, but we were, um, I was in a bar scene with her and I'm just a guy who's like hitting on her. And uh, they just kept, uh, kept shooting her reactions to me saying whatever, you know, whatever, whatever lines my, my character was saying. I didn't actually have any lines of dialogue, so it didn't matter. But it was basically she was just uh, so, some woman who's out on the bar scene and like bored, uh, bored with the bar scene. From what I can, uh, that's great, Joe. I'm gonna find tell. this. That was kind of cool. Uh, the movie's called The Sweet Life. I don't know how easy it is to find. I've never I'll seen it. Find it, damn it! I've never seen it, so I have no idea. I have no idea you if I even it? ended up in the final cut. I might not be in. It seems to me like what they were doing. On, uh, What's that? The, uh, the documentary that she's done about her life, Joan Jets. Really good. I haven't seen. I haven't seen a documentary. She about can her. still kick it in concert because I saw her before COVID hit. Right before, oh my god! Oh she hell was yeah! Fantastic still woman. Just a powerhouse. I, I was quite shocked that she wasn't a lesbian. Was she is. No, I think she not. is. No, she's not. She's been with her boyfriend. Well, no, she's bisexual, as are most people, but they just don't act. But she did have female relationships. Uh, well, I mean, the Runaways. I mean, two of the people from the Runaways went into the Bangles, didn't they? And one went into the Go Go's. Yeah. <laughs> I like the Go Go's and the Bangles. I mean, a lot of people don't know that. It's a secret, but I like the no, music. No, I like them as well. But think of the Runaways and then them breaking into these other Can groups. Can you imagine just... how crazy it must have been to be a single, like a band of girls in the latter 70s, mid 70s? How fucking crazy how is that, that is. To be a rock apparently, band. It, apparently, it wasn't very nice. Apparently not, but I mean, because they just they, crazy they shit. Would, if it was if it wasn't for Japan, they yeah. they probably would have died a very death because they said they were performing and people were throwing bottles and things at them and then spitting Ooh. at them and everything and then and then basically it's like they go on stage and people were just feeling them up all the time and grabbing them like they owned them. Well, it was, it was like, oh. a different world back then. It really was. Uh, well, I think it has to do that you're a female rock and roll group. Well, they were young girls. They were scantily 15, 16. Well, let's be honest. They were the only female rock group. At that time, yeah. 
Besides, well, I mean, you had female singers, independent singers, you know, wasn't, but wasn't girl school around that time? I don't think girl so. school came out afterwards. They became a copy of them. And then you got Hart and Vixen and all them that followed, but they well, would have never happened if it wasn't for the runaways though. I believe but that. I mean, Hart, Hart was a bit different because he got two sisters and then you got a male backing. They got the male band with them. Do you know what I mean? So right. Probably, I get you. Probably, you know, where you just got, I mean, these girls, these girls were 16 years old. The runaways, one of um, Cherry, Cherry was 14. Yeah. I, I realize you were that. Young. I mean, they were young. If you think about it, I mean, it, Girls' school were like eighteen to twenty year olds. These were people who were like you know fourteen to sixteen year old girls. Oh, they were young kids. They were kids. Yeah. <laughs> oh yeah, I didn't realize they were that young. Wow. Yeah. yeah they oh, were they really were just young. they were they were just teenagers. Yeah. They were they that's but, they they it was a it was just a wild time back then. But this Joan Jett documentary, look for it. It's on Amazon. I highly recommend. Yeah, I'm gonna it. have to watch it. That sounds really good. It's about it's about two hours, almost two hours long, and she comes across as very. It's got her old boyfriend on it, who you know they've been together for years, and he's very old. But um, but yeah, she she's quite candid and talks about the Runaways and her solo career. And well, you got Lita Ford is still out there, and she's. I had such a crush on Lita Ford. Who? What man didn't? I think most girls had girl crushes on Lita Ford too. She's still beautiful woman. Oh, she still is. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. Joan Jett looks beautiful as well. She's oh, God, yeah. She's, she's well. still... So I, was like, oh, I mean, I haven't, I, beautiful. I haven't seen her lately, but, you know, yeah, she was always, she was always a really they're, beautiful They're both out there touring again. They they always went, but when the, the drummer died, I just wasn't ever going to come back together again, so... I was a, Joan Jett's the kind of person that if she's your friend, you know you got a bodyguard for life. <laughs> Yeah, like, yeah, maybe so. I got their albums somewhere still. Like they're hidden somewhere. I've got all these albums that are probably worth so much money. I need to get my hands on them again. Well, if they're the original pressings, yeah, they probably they were. The, I got two Beatles albums that are the original pressings, and the uh, the vinyls that thick. That's how original they are. I mean, you could throw them through a brick wall if you want to do. I mean, speaking about female in role, what do you think about Dina Davis's character in this? I don't know what I found I, well, her a bit. I found her a bit of a user. It's kind of funny because yes. I think that she's she's with Jeff Jeff Goblin. Jeff Goblin doesn't seem like he has a lot of experience with the female with women. company. No, he definitely and, doesn't. And and then um he gets to Gina Davis, and I feel like Gina Davis only sleeps with him only because she wants the story. Well, she thought he was you know cute I mean? too. Well, I think she wanted the story because. But then she keeps going back to her ex-boyfriend all the time. Well, she's not really yeah. going back to him, but he's her boss, her editor. But if you think about put yourself as yeah. a woman in the 80s trying to break into the news or a writing gig, everything was harder for women back then. Not that I I'm did, one of those yeah. crazy feminists, but I mean, we have had a row to hoe. So, I, I mean, things were different. I don't know. I just didn't feel like. The love she didn't seem was, like a nice, nice person, but I think as the movie evolved, I think her feelings, you know, she cared. I just, yeah, well, yeah, but I thought she cared like he was a friend sort of thing. You know I mean? She wasn't too yeah. upset about her friend having his arm vomited off and then his leg. I thought he was well, going to start eating him, but he didn't. I was kind of hoping nah. he'd eat him. I kind of saw well, her I'm, going back to her ex as kind of like, 
almost like a rebound thing after the whole thing with Goldblum didn't work out. Yeah. But I never felt like when they were in the throes of this ecstasy relationship, it just felt like she's a reporter just trying to get her scoop. And I don't know if that's what they were intending, but I mean, I watched this film again. The first time I, I thought it, I thought something totally different. Watching it this time, I was looking at them going, this is a very odd relationship between these two. And then when well, he starts it was very, turning, a, it was quick too. Cause, Oh yeah, I think you're cute. Let's fuck. Cause that's pretty much what happened. This movie yeah, does I, hit the ground running on that respect. Like literally the first scene is them talking at a party and she goes back to his place. <laughs> and they're back at his place. Right out of the, yeah. Well, she only goes back to his place because she thinks there's a scoop there. That's the only reason why. And then yeah. it's history. You know, she goes there. back there because she 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 hears him over talking at the party, and then she goes back to his house. Mm-hmm. And then and they don't sleep together on the first day. And he takes her out to dinner, and then okay, so he then, takes her out, feeds her, then he fucks her. But either way, it was really quick. Yeah, but I'm saying, but I just find that yeah, I just found the relationship kind of weird. And then she kept going back, and it's like it's like, why are you doing this sort of thing? It's like, oh, I need to tell him about the baby. It's like, would you really? I mean, it's not like. It's not like I had this deep, loving relationship that ran for years. <laughs> it's kind of like within like a couple of weeks. It's like, okay. Well, yeah. I mean, how long does it take to turn into a fly? What do y'all think the timeline is on this thing? I think it's about, I think it's, I think it's, they're saying about a couple months, weren't they? Was it a couple one, months? I, well, at one point, a month has passed since she's actually went and visited him because she said something about it. Oh, okay. Because so, so I'm trying to figure out on. the timeline. Because if she's pregnant and they've well, they've been doing it like rabbits for like two or three weeks, mm-hmm. I'm assuming. And then she finds yeah, out she's she pregnant. Little, if my guy was across. turning into an insect, I would probably want an abortion. <laughs> yeah, well, I mean, but she just came. I mean, to me, she just came across as a bit of a cop tease, really. Well, maybe to I mean, the editor, her friend. Well, I just no, but I talk about with her relationship with Goldblum. It's just like it would have been nice, I think. You know, and you know, I, I like the film, and I'm going to score this so high. You know what's but funny? Looking, but looking back on it, and then this is a problem with Cronenberg films: is that human relationships take second stage to what's anything else. You know, whether it's Videodrome. I mean, there's no human. I mean, there's supposed to be like human connections, but you don't really feel any human connections in any of his films, yeah. really. You know, Crash, I mean, Crash is, you know, different. James Spader basically having sex with people in automobile crashes. And, you know, I was like this week, year old. Dead ringers. (laughs) I was like this week. I never realized Cronenberg was the gynecologist in the maggot birth scene. I had no idea that was him. And it's just like, oh, oh my God, it is. I mean, his film after this was Dead Ringers, wasn't it? Yeah. I think so, yeah. I'd have to look it up. Yeah, what, about the double uterus or whatever. <laughs> he is sick, man. Uterus. Where does he come up with this shit? You know, it's like his <laughs> mind. Did we uh, just kind of just kind of say it? It seems like Cronenberg is overall ju- uh, just our favorite. Uh, th- this podcast's favorite director, in a way, because we've seen so many of his movies his films, now. Yeah, and we love every one of them. Yeah, I can't really complain about any of his yeah. films. I was just going to say, though, the only time I ever found a human connection in any of his films would have to be History of Violence with Vigo. And that, that actually had, like, the wife and the family. And, do you know what I mean? And that, that seemed to be more of it. But everything up to this point, is like you watch it, and I, and I think he's a fantastic film director. 
but you are kind of a spectator and a scientific experiment going on and every, every one of the sounds, whether it's shivers or videodrome or, or um, this film itself. And I, you know, I'm, that this is not a critique. Or even Naked of, Lunch. Oh my God, don't get me. Scott yeah, just Weller. loves the Naked Lunch. I don't know how many times I have been tortured with the Naked Lunch. It's like, I'm just going to buy it for his birthday so he has the authentic coffee well, but, but but even peter weller getting together with judy davis in that film and they're both fantastic actors there is that there's that relationship that doesn't really you don't get involved you get involved in the story his stories are fantastic but as far as the human connection and the human characters and the way they revolve around each other <coughs> doesn't there's just just there, there's not this great big heart lovey <laughs> ever since any of his films no, and you're right. It is. It isn't until he does, like, he gets away from doing body horror in the mid two thousands. That's when you actually start to see like an actual emotional connection with his characters. Because, yeah, yeah it doesn't seem to be there with the with the body horror stuff. It's all very clinical. Yeah, it's, and that's how I look at it. And and it's a testament. It works. I mean, there's not. It doesn't mean that hit that, but that makes his films suffer in any way it just makes it but they are very it's a very clinical the relationships are very clinical the body horror is very clinical well there's not no really big romance going on so you're probably right about that well the fly is that i mean if you look at the fly and you compare this to the original the original is basically a family drama and it's kind of fluffy and about this relationship in between what's going on and the fly is kind of a secondary story that's going on and here the fly is done very clinically and very scientific. I mean, him turning into the fly is all of it's very, very scientific. You know, you know, the way his body changes, though his communication with everything, the way every you know, it's a very scientific way of looking at it. It's not Well, Scanners you know, wasn't ultra romantic either. <laughs> no, it wasn't. We covered, <laughs> we covered quite a few of Cronin Burstones, haven't we? <laughs> yeah, I'm trying to think if we did do dead ringers. Well, we haven't yeah. uh, yet. We might have uh, to have a David Cronenberg day. I don't know. Yeah. I, I mean, we I love did. David Cronenberg films. We already did last uh, last October. We did uh, Videodrome and Scanners. Yeah, that's and the true. Week yeah, that, we did. The week before that, the week before that, we did the Dead Zone. Nightbreed. Yeah. Who could forget that? Zone, yeah. Oh my god, that's. Actually, are you guys going to watch the Hulu actually thing? Dead Zone? I'll, Dead Zone has human connections in it. Yeah, it does, but but it's still, <laughs> but it's still, uh, but it's still not. But, well, okay. So there's still a clinicalness to it. There's still well, no, walking but, but, very they're, but they're still like at arm's length. It's unrequited. Okay. I mean, somebody ends up alone. You don't feel all happy about it. Okay, there's nothing yeah. happy about his relationships. Nothing. And you don't, and you don't feel a loss for any of them when they die. You watch no. it, and you're and you're horrified by the death or what's going on. And, you know, even in video drama, I mean, video drama haunts, it still haunts me from, from the first time I saw it at the movie theaters. It still kind of grosses me out. But, but I'm fascinated. He is the go to for body horror, though. He's definitely the go to. Well, with video but drama. But I have to say, I'm never, I'm never upset or emotional when any of the characters <laughs> die. I'm, I tend to be like in shock, but I'm never like emotional <laughs> his characters. Peaky blinders. <laughs> Even, even with Videodrome, where where you have this movie that ostensibly has, has has all the sex in it, but none of it has any personal connection. It seems it seems like it's it's all... just sex. It... Yeah, Jane, 
James Woods and is it, banging uh, uh, banging Debbie Harry because what the hell? She's she's a kinky little freak, and that's what I want, you know. Yeah, but there's no love to it. No, but if you think not of, at all. But if you, what's quite interesting that really works in Videodrome is isn't that what porn is? Porn is it's, not. I mean, you watch it, you jack off or whatever you do to it, but it's you but talking about really, personal experience. <laughs> <laughs> well, the thing is, you're not you're not you're not involved in it, are you? You're no, kinda, you're not at a, all. A spectator watching this act in front of you, but I don't not, even think it you're would not be emotionally something involved that would, in it. Whatsoever. I don't even consider those movies to even be arousing in any capacity. They're, 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 so, they're not meant to be. They're it no. depends how long it depends how long your intervals are between sex. <laughs> <laughs> it's just like, yeah, I think I'll turn on. I think I'll take it. <laughs> Take a David Cronenberg out, pop it in, and get out the old four foot vibrator. But I find with Cronenberg what's also very, very interesting about Cronenberg's films, and this is what helps to fly along that. Even though, you know, when you look at Shivers and you look at Scanners and everything else, and these are very, I mean, on paper, they seem so implausible. You know, they seem those like what? Right, right. But when you watch his film and his world, they seem like we're not watching science fiction. We're watching science fact. Yeah. You know, whether Dead Ringers or you know, you know, Nightbreed Scanners, um, Slivers. um, Yeah, he always seems to find a way to make uh, to to make his sci-fi movies seem kind of plausible, which is appreciated. Look at the one with the the midgets posing as children, and they're going around killing everything. What's that? Oh, one what called? the hell was that movie? That's gonna bug me. I can't think of the name. Trying to, I'm trying to look. Hang on, I'm looking. I'm looking. It's got to be in his top ten, easy. And then she has that most, biz- and then she has that the most bizarre looking body, you know, underneath all that sort of thing. And you know, and it's, the thing is, under the brood, it's not the brood, is it? The brood. That's it. Okay. And to be honest, out of anyone, any other director that would have done that would not have been able to sell that. But when you watch a Cronenberg film, now again, you know, when Samantha Eggers is going all out, but I'm not emotionally involved with her, but I mean, but you watch it and you're freaking horrified by the whole thing, <laughs> sort of thing. You know, which is, I don't think any other director has been able to do that in, any, in, in their whole career. I mean, that's something I think. I mean, he, I'm surprised that we, you know, we have like, oh, this is like a David Lynch-esque kind of film. And I'm surprised that we, we still haven't come up with this. No one else has ever done it ever again. We don't have anything that's a Cronenberg-esque kind of film, do we? Well, who comes we up with that? just psychoplasmics? I mean, what the hell? I mean, it was psychoplasmics. I think that was in, um, Oliver Reed was in that one. What movie was that? That's kind of well, he, he created a genre all his own. And, it, and yeah, you're right. Nobody's been able to replicate it. The brood. Um, that was the brood. I mean, I would also think that Cronenberg it'd be quite frightening to speak to because I think that he's probably at an intelligence level that probably is going to bypass anyone I'm ever going to meet in my life. Because <laughs> you know I mean? there is a there's a highbrow intelligence to all his stuff, and and and, and then, you know here we got the fly. And this high he was studying some really serious biology. So, I mean, he's a smart man. Well, the highbrow intelligence is inside there. I mean, he's, they're coming out, he's coming out with all this stuff from a scientific level. And, and, and that's what makes you know, it so very, very good. And you if know? you look it all up, I mean, they're, you know, and he knows what he's talking about and he does it in a way that you're not bored. You don't have like someone's popping out at the end going, 
explaining it to you. Yeah, yeah, you're right. Everything just pros for me. Uh, I said that, you know, with him, I mean, he does it from a very scientific thing. And I think, and what's quite amazing is, is that normally you would get a person off at the side. Okay, now it's time to explain what's going on. Like you normally do in a lot of movies. But he doesn't do that. He peppers it all the way through. And that's right. a very, very clever thing to do. And you're, and you're digesting this information. And while you're digesting this, you are believing everything that's being told to you. And the, th- and the thing is, is that you can take all these terms he's throwing at you because I was actually doing it and Googling some of them. And they're real terms. They're real scientific. I'm not bored with any of his films. I don't know about you guys, but I've never I mean, been bored with any he doesn't of his films. He doesn't treat his audience like idiots. That's a good point. Very he doesn't good point. treat you like you're an idiot. He doesn't, like, like he said, he doesn't have the guy that comes out and explains everything at the end because he's like, look, if you've been paying attention, you're going to get this. Yeah. He, he'll, he'll, he's basically, yeah, like you said, just kind of peppers everything through and goes, no, 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 you, you're capable of this. You're capable of figuring this out. I don't have to explain it to you. And he does put it in there in such a way that by the end, you're like, no, this totally makes sense. It's totally plausible. And I, I think, don't think, yeah, I don't think he's a gateway drug to horror, though. I think you no. have to like find another gateway drug into it and then move on to Cronenberg's who, who you're going to graduate into. Yeah, <laughs> it's not the one that you. I don't know. There's got to be somewhere to go from there. Well, I don't mean it's not so far going with you, but I think if if you go into a Cronenberg film and you're not used to, if you're quite used to multiplex kind of films, that's uh, right, you know, right, every, everyday kind of film. I don't think you can appreciate him. The same thing with David Lynch. You know, yeah. the first movie you're ever going to see in your life, Eraserhead's probably not the first movie you should be watching. No. You know, I've watched that three times, and I still try to figure out Eraserhead. I think it's all up to the viewer when it comes to Eraserhead. So. That's most I of Lynch's think, stuff, though. Yeah. And I, I mean, it's been like, uh, I mean, Eraserhead leaves me cold, but I'll say Mulholland Drive. And and the reason why and the reason why I'm saying Lynch and Cronenberg because they're all like they're great big puzzles. Cronenberg yeah. is a great big puzzle that basically he he start out with this Rubik's cube that's all and then he finds you know starts turning and twisting and next thing you know by the end of it you have a you know a perfectly solved puzzle. Lynch doesn't solve that puzzle for you. It's up to you to solve that puzzle. Like Mulholland Drive is like you're watching it, and you're watching it, and you walk out of there going, "What the hell." Right. And then about a day or two after you watched it, all of a sudden you have that Eureka moment where it's all of a sudden it all makes sense now. But you have yeah. to have that two, you know, you have to walk away from it before any of it makes sense. Or you think you get your epiphany after you have Trump time to digest yeah, it? I mean, well, Wild at Heart's like that. Blue Velvet's like that. When you first watch Blue Velvet, you're yeah, watching Blue Velvet the film. is one of the weirdest fucking movies I've ever seen. <laughs> It's and just the, and the weird. Is, when, you're, when you're watching it, you're going, this is a really weird movie and you can't stop watching it. And you're watching it. But the thing is, the clarification of that film doesn't come to like, uh, like a couple days afterwards because it's stuck. His films stick in your head and they're playing over and over. And then you realize that basically this is the Chronicles of Small Town Life. And yeah. what starts off is very, very bright and cheery. And the film is bright and cheery. That, yeah. as you notice, the dark film gets darker and darker as you start scratching the surface of what's going on behind people's closed doors. Yeah. And then, of course, what do you get? What do you get afterwards? You get the, the bright, the brightness of color again, because once this is solved, what does a small town do with um, dark hidden secrets? They bury them and everything's sunshine again. We're back in the, and that, it's ironically about how small, small town America really. But you don't realize that when you're watching the movie, it's like, who the hell's fuck Frank, you know? 
fuck you, fat blue ribbon. <laughs> like, and, you got the, and you got those people dancing to Roy Orbison. And, you know, and you got Ros and Ro, you know, Ro, Isabella Ross and goes, you know, I looked for you in my closet last night. <laughs> like, what the hell? But, but 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 that's what David Lynch is. David Lynch is something you have to solve yourself. And I think that's the reason why a lot of people don't get it because they want it all figured out for them. Cronenberg, different though. He he gives you everything, and you if you're paying attention, you'll be rewarded. If you're not yeah. paying attention, you let you know. If you just snooze for about five minutes, you're kind of screwed. <laughs> well, he didn't stick with the original ending from the original, so we didn't have no little white fly. You know, with the white head. Well, we don't get, we don't get us. But then he again, he's using a though. different, we're dealing with a different transportation as well. Right. Transportation, what happens is in the first one, it's split. And what happens is the, basically what happens is two, two things come out of the pod. In this one, they get, it's a merging of DNA and right. genetics that merges them together. So there is no second body that's running around. That's right. That's right. So it's kind of a different scientific approach to it. So. You do kind of have the same ending, though, in, in, in a different way, though. Um, in the original, you have uh, Patricia Owen uh, crushing um, her husband's head in the hydraulic press at his behest because he's been okay. Okay. Hey, you got you got to do this because it's going to bring shame on our family. And this in this case, it's similar in that I kind of feel like at the end, Jeff Goldblum uh, or uh, 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 Seth Brundle wants to be killed, and that's when the shotgun blast comes in. You're right uh, from Gina Davis. So I do kind of feel like I do kind of feel like in both cases, the the person who becomes a fly eventually is turning to this person and going, "If you really, really love me, you will let me. You will put me out of my fucking misery." Well, that that I is miserable. I think both these movies do that actually. Well, yeah, I guess, I guess, but it comes at a different point in the film. I guess she does want to kill. Well, I mean, you find out all this other stuff that happened in retrospect in the first one, and the other one's more like a real time thing kind of happening. Yeah. So, I mean, I, I see where you're going with that. I didn't think of that. That's a, that's another good point because technically she has put him out of his misery. I mean, yeah, he doesn't both. really start. Well, she pulls off his jaw. And I think that's what really starts the massive deformity into a fly. And then it's just <laughs> downhill after that. You know, I, I do find it quite sad because I, you know, I know, you know, I spent the last 10, 15 minutes saying about human connections in Cronenberg. But on reflection, I had to sit there and say that Jeff Goldblum's character is quite tragic, isn't it, really? Very tragic. Definitely. You know, and the thing is, is that, you know, we find out by the end of you know, even though it's kind of a next up ideology that basically, you know, let's, you know, let's, you know, incorporate you inside me and we'll basically the three of us will live together in this one body sort of thing. Um, but at the same time, it's like what he hungers, mo- hungers for the most is human connection. And that's what he's, that's what he's really looking for. And if you look at his whole relationship with Gina Davis, it's all about him trying to smooth her, trying to impress her. The whole thing, the whole movie is about him trying to impress her. Even to the bitter end, almost. Yeah. He's still and... talking his, his scientific bullshit, even to the end. I was thinking, what would happen if they actually fused? I was thinking of the color of space, and I was thinking of the mom and the son, how <laughs> oh, they <Yeah>. fused. <laughs> that was another well... 
Well, another question is, is that with a human, with fusing with another human DNA, would the human DNA overtake the fly? Would he tra- maybe it would transform and start transforming? Well, that right was away. the point. He because thought, you would end- didn't he think of having more human DNA than you have fly DNA? Maybe who knows? I would want to be. I would want to be the guinea pig in that experiment. No, <laughs> it's possible. No, I you mean, know. yeah, that that was just no. <laughs> It's such a well, sad, well, it's a sad downfall. Like it's it's like it's not like the post atomic era kind of stuff that you know that, but it is one of those cautionary tales about technology. I think in some weird way, still. I also think it's a cautionary tale about loneliness, and you know, and basically what happens is when you're hermetic, you know, you you need human connection, but you're never going to find it, and as you go and as things start deteriorating around you that there's no way you're going to find it. So you just become very desperate. Right. You know, and you know, it's, it's quite sad because what, what can he do really? What can he seriously do? And the thing is about, and this is what I say about Gina Davis. And that's the reason why I don't think that the, this is what I have problems with the relationship with them. If cares so much about him, she's not checking in on him every day to see if he's okay. She's not at all. It's like, she doesn't want to see him. She doesn't want to be part of it. She's not helping him. She shows no. up, you know, she shows up and says, oh, you look bloody horrible. Oh, I don't like the way you eat your food. She disappears for weeks on end, comes back, oh, I think I'm pregnant, and but doesn't tell him for whatever reasons, and then goes out and, you know, and then decides to have a tender moment with her ex-boyfriend about going to have an abortion in front of his house sort of thing. I mean, he has windows, <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. You know what I mean? And the whole thing is like, but she doesn't, you know, for a loving relationship, she doesn't check on him regularly. No. You know, think about, okay, think about that. That's you're true. With, now think about that. You're Gina Davis and you're supposedly in love with someone. You see this happening. And, and, the, and the thing is you're scientifically right. You're scientifically, um, you know, minded because you write scientific articles about scientific experimentations and the, the wonders of science. This is what you do for a living. So it's it's not like she's it's not like she's you know writing for People magazine and covering it. No. So so that's why I, that's what you know when so when I was watching that's what I was thinking it's just like you know when I was watching the movie it's like she's not really checking up on him and seeing how he's doing. You know, and then when she does show up, it's all about whether that they can get another story out of it. That's when she shows up again. <laughs> it's <just> like... <laughs> Always a new, well, you know how reporters are and stuff. Everybody wants that, you know, initial first, you know, getting it out there. So I don't, I don't really consider this a love story because I no, don't, I, I don't, don't care. Think, it's not a love story at all. Yeah. Cause I don't think that she's emotionally invested in him. I think she's a bit upset to see what happens. So like you're seeing, like, it's like watching a human being get hit by a car. It's like, you know, you get up, you get upset by seeing it, but you're not emotionally involved with it. <laughs> Someone being hit by a car that's sad and horrible, but I don't know them. It doesn't matter. Like, I feel sorry for him in the end, where he's just looking up there with his fly eyes, and it's just like he's putting the gun to his head. So it's like, please, just just end it, please. You know, I thought it was a I very mean, sad ending. It's a very sad ending, but I but my sad ending for me wasn't about her. It was about him. It was about and, him, not her. You know, and to be honest, it's like. Let's sit there and say that this ran off without a hitch, and let's sit there and say that everything was fine. 
Yep. He would have had a glorious career and he would be like the wonder, he'd be what everyone would be praying to sort of thing is like one of the best scientists of all times. Right. Wouldn't he have? And of course that all goes horribly wrong. And yeah, it's just quite sad. And he, and the thing is when you do see him, I mean, even when you see him at the party sequences, he's he's out of his depth in a social setting, isn't he? Yeah. Awkward. No one really wants to talk to him. And when he does talk to them, they look like they're annoyed that this guy's talking to them. It's like this guy's boring. It's like go so, go talk to someone else, please. <laughs> I'm gonna go find a drink. <laughs> okay. <laughs> oh, I think I gotta go to the bathroom now. You're gonna go let's go. Oh, hurry up. Talk to me, talk to me. He's coming. <laughs> you know, he's one of those. <laughs> you know, so it's so for me, I mean for me, I it- just you got to give an honorable mention to the boyfriend that loses his hand and a foot, you know? He's John Getz. The problem with John John Getz for me, and he's brilliant in this, is that you just look at him and you think, asshole. The moment <laughs> yeah. he comes up, you just think, he's an asshole. Well, he does look like an asshole, but he then turns into quite, you know, a cavalier and he's trying to save her and, and help her. No, he's trying to save himself, really. I mean, he's he, he goes, he shows up trying to get us. To try to get the story, and he can't believe that he's changed so much. It's all of, you know. Okay, he does save her, but to be honest, I do think it's out for his own personal gain. It's like oh, I'll get a story out of this. <laughs> so that's, you know, that's I think he's off. just jealous because somebody's you know tapping into one of his resources, so to speak, and he didn't like it. Though, well, you know, I think he's like some journalists who are like film critics or people. Film critics are normally people who want to be get involved in the film industry, but it doesn't quite work for them. So they critique it instead. <laughs> He's like, you know, those who can't do teach. It kind of reminds me of that. <laughs> Absolutely. Um, yeah, that's, um, that's the thing. Even when he is doing all that stuff towards the end, he still comes off like kind of a dick. And it's, it's kind of weird seeing this character who the whole time has been portrayed as kind of the selfish character in the end. Uh, coming through being the, being the one who's uh, who's trying to save Gina Davis. But like you said, it's, it's all for selfish treasons. Yeah. I do think it's because to get the story at the end of the day. And even, even when she wants to get an abortion, he's kind of, you know, he is second. He's not 100% on board. And he, for me, you'll kind of wonder if he's not, is he not on board because he's like, this will make, this will be a great story. If she does give birth to a, a fly baby. <laughs> a fly. You know, she, he, he doesn't, but the thing, for me, his character doesn't put anyone before him. That's what I get from it. And no, even and even when he's and even when he's rescuing her, he's, he's kind of doing it for his own good. It feels like it doesn't. Feel yeah, like I guess you're right him. about that. I thought he was having a redeeming moment at the end. That's all. No, he's. I think he's just a cocksucker. He's just a dick. I'm sorry. <laughs> he's just a dick. So much for redeeming moments. <laughs> <laughs> And I don't think he's supposed to have a redeeming moment. I think your redeeming moment is, you know, Seth Brundle, um, re- the moment before he dies when he says, kill me, where he gets his humanity back. That's your redeeming moment for me. Yeah. You know, he's become human. He's realized he's gone too far. And he realizes that, like your past, you can't go back and fix it. But I can fix it. You know, I can end it here. And hopefully you have a brighter, a brighter tomorrow. You know, I just want to know what happened to to the the, the shitty ex boyfriend editor. Did he? It's not like he's going to grow a hand and a foot back. <laughs> it's like, what well, was yeah. his life like after this? He, you know? He's the only he's the only actor that comes back for the second one. So. Oh, he does come back. Yeah, does he got a hand? Uh, 
No. Okay. No, I might uh, have to watch it now just because of the, the greedy blood sucker. So yeah, he's uh I've I've seen it for years. I so haven't either. I can't though. remember who's in it. All I remembered is Eric Stoltz, I'm thinking, Eric Stoltz, God, that's went, it. You went from math to this? <laughs> like, I know. He did, too. <laughs> yeah. Mask was awesome. Yeah, he's the, he's so, the only one that comes back, at, um, and he's he's just kind of this bitter prick, lives by himself, and doesn't, you know, doesn't care about anything. He said so he's the same. So basically, <laughs> yeah. yeah, basically, I, guess, I guessed him outright, didn't I? He's just a selfish prick. Yeah. Uh, basically, when Eric Stoltz shows up at the door, he lets him in. But basically, he lets him in just so he could tell him, your father was a piece of shit, and I fucking hated him, and he stole my woman. Fuck you. Get out of my house. Mm. I'm definitely going to have to give it another look see now. I liked Eric Stoltz in Fast Times at Ridgemont High. <laughs> I liked his very oh, small parts. No, nothing nothing against... Nothing against Stoltz, it's just the movie itself is just... Just, just badly written. Dull, well, I, d- I don't even dull. think it came out to cinema. I, don't, I think it was like a straight-to-video sort of thing. I think it might have been planned for cinema, but I remember it being straight-to-video. I don't remember seeing it in the theaters. Yeah, I got it, really I think- disappointed because I, I saw the opening credits that was written by Mick Garris and uh, Frank Darabont, and I'm like, oh, shit, this might be like a nice little sleeper. It was a sleeper in a completely different way. It's completely yeah. knocked out. Um, the just the pacing is awful. Like this movie, we were talking about how like uh, they hit the ground running immediately right off the bat. Jeff Goldblum, Gina Davis, hey, you know we should get together, go back to my place, take a look at this thing. It doesn't get to that point with Eric Stoltz and um, uh, what is her name, the actress? Uh, uh, oh, shit. I don't that remember. Thing. But it, does, it doesn't get to that till like forty minutes in. It's like oh, it's that, I don't. I don't this think I ever a, finished it. I don't think I finished Fly that. Two, the Fly Two is a slog of a movie. It's and it's it's every Daphne bit of Dolores Kurberg's movie is fantastic. I think Daphne was too busy doing Melrose Place, so she probably been the end of it because that was the only time she could tiny time off for filming. I mean, I just remember Eric Stoltzman going to see it because I love one of my favorite Eric Stoltz movies is Some Kind of Wonderful, which I think is a fantastic film. He's um, a good actor. And then I remember seeing that. It's like, oh, I mean, in mask, it didn't make a difference because I mean, I right. You know, yeah, he was under all that all that makeup. Yeah, that's, that's God, makeup. that was such a great movie, though. It was. And to be honest, whenever I think of mask, I think of share. I don't think of I, I think of Sam, Sam Elliott for obvious reasons mm-hmm. in the mask. <laughs> uh, I forget, I forget that Sam Elliott's even in it, sort of thing. Um, I mean, this is quite interesting. What David Cronenberg had to say about. The fly. He says, if you or your lover has AIDS, you watch the film, and of course, you'll see AIDS in it. But you don't have to have that experience to respond emotionally to the movie, and I think that's really its power. This is not to say that AIDS didn't have an incredible impact on everyone, and of course, after a certain point, people were seeing AIDS stories left, right, and center everywhere. So I don't take the other offense that people see that in my movie. For me, though, there was something about the fly story that was much more universal, aging and death, something all of us have to deal with interesting i don't see aids in it whatsoever so <laughs> because unless he was having sex with the fly in the machine as you're transporting maybe <laughs> well i guess i guess in the in the sense that like he um brundle 
is putting his DNA now into these into these women. I mean, that's that's how I. I mean, I don't know. Like, I, I was born in eighty one, so the the you know, like, I don't remember a lot of the uh, the AIDS scare of the eighties. So this, so yeah, uh, yeah. I'm not, I'm probably not the person uh, uh, to comment on it, but I, I guess it's probably the only way I could see it. I mean, do I think male flies? I don't think there are male and female flies, are there? I oh. think they're. I think they just kind of just lay eggs. They no, lay eggs. they do it. Do they do it? I know that they sometimes you see flies on top of each other's. Because I always get disgusted mm-hmm. when they, they they land on me and they're in their vulgar position. Yeah, mm-hmm. they do it. Okay. All yeah, insects that's, that's, do though. <laughs> that's just gross. <laughs> But but they both fly. They both fly. They both can do. They both can lay their larvae into dead tissue. That's what they do to reproduce. Basically, so. yeah, that's so like the think- god awful hornet. They've got this weird hornet that lives here in Texas, and it lays its eggs in live stuff or in dead stuff. So it, the larva has something to feed. Oh off yeah, horn. Like yeah. spiders and stuff, isn't it? And then the spider will die as it's eating its. Yes, yes, that's yeah. exact. What is that thing called? I can't remember, but they always go after tarantulas, and I cannot remember what they yeah, are. Yeah, her, something hermit, something or something along those lines. I, I know what you're talking about. It's the, the it's probably one of the most disgusting things in a documentary I've ever seen, and I know that everything has a purpose and God's planet. Oh, I don't get. Well, that. I mean, you know, if you look at. I mean, I know that we get the the offshoot of how horrible flies digest and regurgitate food before eating it back up. But the thing that you don't know is that we use fly larvae every day in in, um, in medical practices. It's the only thing that eats like gangrene. It's the only thing that eats right, gangrene right, and eats infections right. and stuff like that. And that's fly larvae. That's baby. Well, larvae. they eat all the dead tissue. Yeah. And it's and it's actually more antiseptic and, and cleaner than any chemical you can use. So, you know, that's what I mean. That's what flies. That's what flies are there for. Isn't it? They're part of the cleaning up process. Of, right. Otherwise, it'd just be dead things everywhere. We've got lots of turkey vultures out back. Yeah, <laughs> they're but circling it, but, all the time. But it's the fly. It's the fly larvae that eats what the turkey vultures won't eat. Yeah. So. Boy, they can clean up something in hours. I mean, just nothing. So let's rate the fly from 1986. And we'll start with you this time, Vicky. What are you going to rate the fly from 1986? God, I want to say five. I think I will only I, I would say it because it, it's really I don't know if you're into science fiction I don't even know I guess this is body horror right would you say yeah it's both I it's say, both. yeah I would say science fiction horror body horror film yeah yeah just just it's just because it's hard not to watch I find it really repulsive some of it but it's it's just you can't look away. So and it's Cronenberg, you know, film, and he just he's so brilliantly weird. I guess is the word. Mm-hmm. The only thing I come up with that just fits the director's description. And I mean, I just 
don't ever dislike any of his movies, tell you the truth. I'm sure there's probably one out there I don't like. I just haven't seen it yet. But no, I always give these a five because I, they're just fun to watch and they, they're gross at the same time. So yeah. I liked it. What about yourself, Joe? I'm going to go four with this one. I like it. I don't like it as much as the original fly. Although if anybody were to tell me that this is one of those instances where the remake was better than the original, I'm not going to disagree with you on that. I, I, I think different it's a, though, you know, so I just, they're very it. different. They're very similar in a lot of ways, very, uh, but, but still very, very different. Um, both I think are excellent movies. Mm-hmm. Um, I, there's something about the fifties version that gives me that kind of warm and fuzzy feeling, it even though this is the version does. I grew up with. It definitely um, does. I think like um like Heath was saying, I think it might have been uh the uh maybe the writing in um in uh the original one was uh was what worked for me. Um and yeah, I I I didn't find myself feeling as cold towards the characters in that one as I do in the remake. So love them both. I, I recommend seeing them both if you like science fiction, if you like body horror, if you like horror films, any of that stuff. You get two great performances by two great actors who are yeah. fantastically over the top, Vincent Price and uh, Jeff Goldblum, um, and both of them are fun. So yeah, I love them. I love them both. Yeah. Um, there's, really there's no just something here. The other, the other one has more humanity to it, and I think that's just the that's just which the way is it is. Not, which it is lacking in this one. When you think I was trying to think of ways to put humanity Ooh. into it, but I have been corrected thus and i do agree so the weird thing is like i feel like the lack of humanity in videodrome works better than the lack of humanity here that's a good point i think here here, there actually is an attempt to try to make you feel something but it just isn't there um still fantastic movie absolutely should see it great point I mean, I think this is probably one of the most accessible David Cronenberg films. Oh, um, definitely, yeah. yeah. Yeah, so I think it's, you know, so if you're new to him, this is probably the best one to start off with before you right. go down the Cronenberg rabbit hole. Um, but saying that, I mean, I, I'll give this five star because it's excellently made and the, I, I do like the script. Uh, but if it does come down, if I'm going down to like human for being emotionally involved, I'm more involved in the 1958 right. than the 1986. But, you know, if you want to see you know, something that's done from a realistic point of view, that's done quite clinically, but at the same time, if you want to see some fantastic pre-CGI special effects, you can't beat this film. Yeah. I mean, the makeup effects alone, I haven't seen anything that equals that since American Werewolf in London or The Howling before that. That's true. And, you know, and if you, First of all, if you think, uh, yeah, go ahead. Uh, I mean, if you think that Jeff Goldblum is inside all that and he's able to act through all this stuff. And he's one of the few people a- that wanted the part because of all the, the makeup. <laughs> yeah, but he does a freaking fan. I mean, this is a Jeff Goldblum acting extravaganza and it yeah. just to see Jeff Goldblum's performance gives this to me for the helps give this a five star rating. Now, you know, where I think that the you know, if you take the original fly, and I think that you could take Vincent Price out of it and put like you know James Mason in there or someone else there because you have a strong solid script. 
And I think that you probably, the film probably could play successfully as well. I mean, I, I wouldn't replace anybody in The Fly, but because it has such a strong script. Right. Here, I don't think you could take, I mean, without Jeff Goldblum, you do not have the 1986 Fly. You know, it's a Yeah, I think it's a great version. point. You know, and um, and he sells it. And if it wasn't for Jeff Goldblum selling a David Cronenberg body horror film, I don't think he would have. It wouldn't be as great a film. So right. So you know, in nineteen eighty six is David Cronenberg's The Fly. I have to be in the right mood for it. The nineteen fifty eight. I can watch that any Sunday. Give me a rainy Sunday, and that comes on. I'm gonna be watching it. Yeah, Cronenberg. I gotta be in the right mood. <laughs> be in the right frame of mind. <laughs> So. Well, the, Cronen- the oh. Cronenberg one is also a lot more uh, goes a lot more in depth into the science, and I think that that makes it a little less accessible than the uh, than, than the fifty uh, eight version. And that's what I like about I like the science part of it, which I find quite enjoyable. But as you know, you know what I said before, though, it's like I'm not emotionally involved in it. Though I do feel sorry for I do I I do feel. Emotionally involved when Jeff Goldblum said shooting it, oh, that's a bit sad. But it's like that. It's not like, oh, no. I was like, oh, that's a bit sad. <laughs> I'm trying to remember. Did the the cheesy little tart that he brought home? She died, right? No, they they don't. No, I think she. I don't know what happened to her. I mean, I think she just goes off. You know, or she leaves. I mean, I'm trying to. Remember. I thought for a second I might. I mean, have she something. did go. She did go home with him after she broke someone's arm and almost in half. I mean, it's just like, what kind of woman is this? <laughs> sure, I'll go home with you. I'm impressed now. You just snapped someone's wrist. Yeah. And she didn't want. She didn't want to either. Mm. No, she, was like, she didn't kind, look like she kind of girl do you to. think I am? Now he breaks this guy's wrist, and all of a sudden it's like, ah, oh, well, maybe it was more fear. Like if I don't do it, he's gonna fucking kill me. That that could be part of it too. Either that or violence just makes her horny. I know. I think it's like, oh, he he must be he must be on on PCP. He might have some at home. I'm gonna go home with that. <laughs> um, yeah, maybe that's it. I mean, although the the guy she was with was a guy who was quick to violence too, because all it took was was uh, Brundle talking to her when he and he jumps up and he's getting in uh, in his face about it. So. So yeah, maybe that's just her thing. She's just the kind of woman that goes for that kind of thing. I mean, I guess another thing with Cronenberg's aging thing, I guess um, when males get older, we start growing weird hairs everywhere. So maybe that's where <laughs> the fly hair comes in. I don't know. <laughs> so oh, so we're gonna do. What we're gonna do now is we're gonna cut to an ad from a new another podcast called "With Nothing to Say." So take it off. Take it away with "Nothing to Say" podcast. Hi, I'm Austin Lugo. I'm Andrew Harp. This is With Nothing to Say. And let's talk about movies. With over 3,000 films log, Andrew and I, best friends since middle school, have dedicated our lives to watching, making, and talking about movies. Each week, Andrew and I handpick a movie he's seen, I've seen, or neither of us have seen, and dive deep into anything and everything to wannabe cinephils could ever think of. From horror to dramedy, we do it all. So join us as we talk about everything movies, and maybe you too can become a bona fide cinephil. Hello, welcome back to Literalization's podcast. Well, this is the end of our podcast. Next make remake is the Pulse, which is, we'll be doing the Korean version and the American remake. Um, and this will tie in also with our book to film, which we'll be doing Ringu, the book, the Japanese book with the Japanese film Ringu. 
And of course, next week we'll be carrying on with our double feature to carry on Horror's Art with The Hunger from 1983 and Liquid Sky from 1982. If I got the years messed up, I'm sorry about that, folks. And of course, Dark Shadows will continue after that and The Soap will be the week after that. So it's good night for myself. Good night, Joe. Good night, everyone. Good night, Vicky. Good night, everybody. And we'll see you next week for the 80s. Come on, come on, come on, and do the fire.